Door Guys, episode 26. I'm Davis. And this is Scott. I'm Billy. I'm Daryl. And with us today, we got a special guest. We've got Craig Gass with us this weekend. I am here many days early in advance <laughs> of my shows this upcoming weekend. I'm not here till April 1st to the 3rd. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. And uh, and I always come in early because I always love doing every radio and TV station in town, which yeah. I'm, I'm going to do this week, but uh, most of it apparently is going to have to be from my hotel room because nobody wants, <laughs> nobody me. wants yeah. you no in. Wants you <laughs> but some people are like, yeah, come on. I mean, I got my shots, you know, so some people are like, yeah, man. Uh, but uh, for the most Wait, part. Wait, you didn't become autistic? No, man, but I got, I'm, I have Wi-Fi. I just walk around, I have fucking Wi-Fi. It's, it's like perfect. I got all my bars. It's fucking amazing. So the but, chip is working then? Yeah, man. But um, I, I have so many questions just about, and I didn't want to ask you last night because we were talking about this, yeah. about doing it. I wanted to know a quick history of this podcast. How long have you guys been doing the podcast? Uh, we started in October. No, August. Uh, August, August, last August. So it's less than a year. Yes. Less than a year. Have you already gotten rid of anybody that was part of the show? Not yet. No, not, not yet. yet. No. Has it come close? I'm waiting for the day no. they kick me out. Yeah? <laughs> Have there been any discussions to ring anybody in? Like, hey, man, you fucking listen. Stop talking about how I much. mean, there's there's one that we might have to excise, but, you know. <laughs> we do. We have, episode, we do have an episode uh, or a Christmas episode that we could not air because it got a little crazy on that one. But uh, Crazy in terms of, like, what was, uh, what was said that should too, not have been said? Too much alcohol was concerned. Consumed okay. and uh, it just it was not good. I got really drunk. <laughs> we had way too much fun for our own good. And yeah, you yeah. never released it? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> we're holding on to it. Were there things said that you were concerned about? And that's why yes. you didn't. Absolutely. <laughs> were they about fellow employees? Maybe. I kind don't of. remember. <laughs> kind of. There was a sombrero involved. Yeah. A poncho. Oh, yeah, that did happen too. And a Latino man. There could have been some uh, cancellation. Maybe because of that episode. Uh. Well, let's dive right in. If you were to, <laughs> if you were to rank, if you were to rank them, if you were to rank them in order, uh, would you all probably agree as to who would be your least favorite person that you work with? <laughs> would you Would you all be like, yeah, we probably think of the same person? There's a couple. Uh, yes, I agree. I Probably. Agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, agree would, I agree that we'd come with the same people. I think so. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, For and, sure. And uh, and who's worked here the longest? Uh, that would uh, be me. Him, yeah. yeah. I have. All right. Actually, or, yeah, probably no, Daryl. Right. You have, Daryl. I, I apologize. Started, uh, <laughs> I started as a food runner when I was 17. Okay. And I'm 29 now. So. Oh, wow. 12 years off That's and on. It's not like consecutive me. years. Okay. Um, but, like, I've been a food runner, a server. Uh, door guy worked the ticket booth when that was still open. Okay. Yeah. Uh, basically, and just haven't really like cooked, cooked, or uh, been a bartender. And how long have you worked here? Uh, like six years, seven years. Six years. I uh, went through a divorce, and I was like, fuck this. I'm going to uh, try and get into the comedy scene and just kind of, it's a fun place to be, to hang out, you know, and work. Good for you. And everything like that. What and became so. of the ex? Uh, she died. Get out of here. No, For real? No. Only in his dreams. Killed her. There's that great line from Tom Segura last night where he's talking about meeting a, a supermodel. And he's like, and I all I kept thinking was, why can't my wife drown? Yeah. <laughs> that was such a great fucking line. So between the two of you working here 12 years, working here six years, would you both think of the same person if I said, who is the comic that 
hits on the wait staff the most? Would you guys? Oh, like, oh I uh, think we have a new contender for that. Oh, really? A couple months ago. Oh, uh, really? Then this is uh, the DC Young Fly shows. Oh, this I've is never true. seen yeah. Yeah. someone anywhere in the world holler at literally every woman that walks by before. <laughs> it was kind of amazing, to be honest. DC Just, Young Fly. I don't know if it was him or if it was, it was more of his entourage and his yeah. openers yeah. before him. That oh were, uh, man, they were. Uh, yeah. It was getting. Uh, it was getting a little crazy. Listen, out if there. you swing at every pitch, yeah. you're bound to hit something out of the park, this and that's true. what they were doing. I do yeah. remember before he met Bonnie. I do remember Rich Voss. We were at uh, Stand Up New York, and uh, Rich was uh, selling his CDs after the show, and uh, he was talking to some of the waitresses, like, "Any of you girls want to go out for a drink?" I'll throw in a CD. <laughs> 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 I was thinking, like, you're throwing in a CD. <laughs> what? Like, oh, that was that was amazing. Something but, to uh, remember me yeah. by. <laughs> yeah, I, I was excited about the idea of even coming in here and, and crashing your show because um, uh, I love comedy. Uh, I've been head over heels in love with comedy, and I just, I think my favorite thing about doing stand-up for 20, what, 27 years? Making a living for 20, but um, has been... Um, uh, all the endless hours of conversation about stand-up comedy, all the analysis of like who the really fun comics are, who the who the crazy bookers are, crazy club owners, you know that we all have the same experiences with. So I was excited to come in and and uh, and say hello. So yeah. yeah. So we, we started the show, Davis and I. The club was shut down because of COVID, and we were just bored. We had talked about it. And uh, we started it, and it was just kind of kind of rocky at first. We didn't really know what to talk about. We talked about like our favorite Netflix specials, and yeah, that was that a was a one. really bad episode. <laughs> I still have episode two because you guys told me not to listen. Yeah, to it. yeah, it was that bad. Where you're telling people just was don't it listen two or to three? It was uh, number two. I think it was two. Was number two. Yeah. But uh, then we started bringing on like some of the local people, you know, getting local acts in to come in, local comedians, and then it kind of just started. Blowing up from there, like just having fun. We've added people instead of firing. Yeah, we really. Okay. Yeah, for sure. We, rotate, so. we try to rotate the other door guys in. Like me and him are the ones who started it, but uh, Daryl and Billy are on it quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, Vinny will be on it sometimes, uh, and other guys that have been around for a while. Uh, we try to get Andres. Uh, he comes on every once in a while, and uh, it's just fun. It's just we love comedy so much. We were so bummed out that we couldn't experience it live mm. anymore. Yeah, and we just wanted to talk about it. You know, just it, it's such a part of our lives, all of us, because we're all huge fans of comedy. We're all huge fans of comedians. You know, when I started working here like two and a half years ago, I didn't realize how jaded you get the comedy, and you really kind of find your niche, like what you find funny. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of people who come through that are hilarious, but it's just not your thing. Right, of course. And you learn to appreciate that. You know, it, yeah. just because it's not my thing doesn't mean it's not everybody else's thing. And you also have that that point of view, which is that there are completely different audiences that show up for oh, different yeah. comedians. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that they don't, they, you know, there's certain genres that they'll go see and they won't go see, you know. And, yeah. uh, and for me, it's like, I, I just, I respect anyone who can make a living and, and figure it out, you oh, know? Oh, yeah. Billy and I were talking about it yesterday. Uh, there seemed to be kind of a weird disconnect in some of the Segura shows where it's like people are coming in that know him from his podcast, and then people yeah. are coming in that know him from comedy, and they don't really intersect. Really? You know, they, yeah. It, it's a different experience depending on what you are a fan of his. And so they, there was some weird, weird You know crowds. what's crazy? I didn't know anything about Segura until probably two years ago. And a friend of mine died uh, that I started out 
doing stand up with uh, Brody Stevens. Yeah, we okay. started out the same open mic. He was this is crazy. Um, I had a I had the manager look it up because he he kept all the lists. He kept all the sign up lists. Yeah, and put them all in photo albums. And when I asked him if he could find Brody's first night, he was like, "Oh, here's a night that you and." Uh, Mitch Hedberg and Doug Stanhope were at the open mic. Here's oh, a night Jesus. when... Well, Mitch was my wow. first roommate in New York. Oh, oh wow. And, wow. Uh, so um, he looks up and finds Brody and he goes, oh, here we go. February, I think it was February 25th, 1994. So Brody started about eight months after me. And I get to the comedy store. I'm talking to Carl, the manager, on the way to the memorial. And when I got to the memorial, I saw Josh Wolf and mm-hmm. Tana Manu. Uh, we all started together. Tina was Brody's best friend, and I said, "Hey, so I, I just talked to Carl. He found the he found the day that that Brody started, and it was February twenty fifth, February twenty sixth, something like that, nineteen ninety four. And they both looked at me and they went, "Get the fuck out of here." And I said, "Why?" And they were like, "That's the day he killed himself. It was twenty five years wow. to Jesus the day. Twenty five years to the day that he killed himself. So when Brody first oh, shit, and Brody and I." Chills. Uh, we had some issues. Yeah. <laughs> we had some. It was weird, man. We we were like anybody in that comedy scene knew that we were mortal enemies for a while. He tried to. He ran up and tried to punch me in the face once when I was coming <laughs> off stage. Jesus. It's amazing. The whole crowd tackled him. They dragged him out, and uh, and then we grew up, and and started uh, you know acting like human beings to each other <laughs> and uh, and then every time we saw each other we we would hug i, I loved him yeah you know yeah. and and we loved each other and uh started out having a friendship and then things went sideways and then we came back but when he first died i was looking for anything about him and i saw these two people uh tom and christina yeah they did a makeshift uh hey we're, we're doing a bonus episode because uh, someone very close to us passed away, and it was one of the most heartfelt uh, tributes to Brody. I ended up watching it a couple of times, and that was the first time we came. Like I knew who Tom was, I never watched him, and then from that point on, I started watching more and more of their Your Mom's House podcast yep. and yep. and uh, and learning more about Tom. I didn't. So last night is the first time I ever actually. It's weird when you don't. When you like, I don't, I don't know if, if Tom and I were ever. I don't remember him being on the same lineups, but there's a few guys that I've been on the same lineup with that I never paid attention to, and I'm like, that guy's selling what? How much? Like you know, yeah. like Kevin Hart never paid attention to Kevin Hart. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Kevin was always around, and he's he's pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, it's funny because he, he was small. He, yeah. he was always around in clubs, and then we we I just never watched him. And uh, and then uh, I remember doing shows, and I always like to ask promoters like, "Who's doing really well for you?" And this guy was like, "Oh, I just did a half arena with uh, Kevin Hart," and I was like. The little black guy, and he goes, "Yeah." And I go, <laughs> "Kevin Hart, the little short," and he goes, "Yeah." And I go. He's doing half of it. He goes, oh, man, he's in movies, man. He's, he's really hot. And I was like, wow. And then a year later, he goes, oh, I did a, a full arena. And, uh, and then a, a year later, he goes, Dude, I got two nights in an arena. I was like, get the fuck out of here. And then he announces a fucking football stadium. Yeah. And I was yeah, like, all right, so insane. I'm going to see the comedy show at the football stadium. He's playing where the Eagles play. Yep. Yeah. And a friend of mine who works for the Eagles hooks me up, puts me in a little, like in a box suite. And I watched Kevin Hart for the first time in front of 65,000 people. And I was God. like, 
you know what? I get it. And I, go, <laughs> I go back to New York. I tell all the comedians, and they're like, what? And I go, 65,000 people. And they're like, where? And I said, Philly, man. I've, no comedians ever sold out a football stadium. And then Gary Goldman was one of the comedians in that group. Yeah. And he goes, wait, wait, wait. Ho- hold on. Uh, Kevin's from Philly, right? And I go, yeah. And he goes, so he's got family. And I go, he doesn't have 65,000. <laughs> he's not a Mormon. He's not fucking like. Yeah. So, anyways, so when you uh, have guys on, are there standard questions you ask everybody or is it just a free-flowing conversation? I mean, we, initially when we started, I was asking a lot of pretty standard questions. But a lot of it's shit that, you know, already people already know or you can find easily on the internet. The last few times we've had guys on, I try to make it more of a free-flowing conversation, you know, like just lead into whatever you're talking about, you know, whatever. Okay. Yeah. whatever uh, Every episode's been a little bit different because, like I said, sometimes we'll have other employees on. We've been having more comics on lately. Sometimes it'll just be the door guys where we're drinking and we just get a little bit crazy, but we try to keep it as much free-flowing as possible. Are yeah. comedians still too fucked up to do shows? We're not really doing that anymore, right? Like comedians... Because I think it was like in the 80s, like in the 80s, apparently, I heard this a lot when I started in 1993, that uh, it was not uncommon at the end of a week to be told uh, by a comedy club owner, do you want to get paid in green or white? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, dude. It was, there was drugs everywhere. But that's not really like a thing anymore. Yeah, as far as I know, Colleen yeah. doesn't get down like that. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's, not, she's not paying anybody to blow. No. <laughs> to be fair, we've never seen her at a Rolling Stones concert. Yeah. No. I mean, true. I wouldn't be the most surprised, but also, you know. I should probably renegotiate uh, what I'm getting paid here, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I mean, yeah, you don't really see that. No, and the, mo- the most we see is, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys who like their edibles or their weed, but you know, yeah. that, that's about it. They usually bring that with, or we uh, help them out. We help them out. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's like this wave of a lot of sober comedians lately too. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Guys have not, gotten not, clean. Not that there's anything or, bad with that. It's just yeah, comedians who have that lifestyle overdone change. it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they've they've like, dialed it back quite a bit. Yep. Like me. <laughs> a heart attack will uh, change the way you live. So, yeah. but, I'd imagine. Uh, yeah, yeah. I had a heart attack uh, 18 years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, 18, yeah. So, Jeez. drugs. It's yeah. That's, I was going to say, what, what was that induced by? Well, I was just going to ask because Colleen uh, was talking to me before the show. Was that because of the night you hung out with Jay Medicine Hat? Oh, <laughs> shit. So, Jay Medicine Hat. The first time I came to Omaha, I think I was hanging out with a couple rock bands uh, that were playing out here. And uh, I have a lot of friends in the music industry. And, uh, and they were doing shows. Uh, oh, I, I think I... Yeah, there was a show at an arena downtown. I stayed for like an extra day or I was in a day early. And I went to the Funny Bone, called up, and hey, my name's Craig. At the time, I was on the Stern Show or doing stuff on the Stern Show. I don't know if I was sitting next to Howard yet. And uh, um, I like to do a guest set. And Jay Medicine Hat was the headliner. And he's a hypnotist. Yeah. Yeah. And Colleen was like, well, you know, he's a hypnotist. That's our headliner. But yeah, we'll give you, she gave me like five or ten minutes in front of a hypnotist. And and oh, the that's hip- awesome. The hypnotist kept making coke jokes on stage, <laughs> which is uh, a less than subtle, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, man, cocaine, unless you got some, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. unless you got some, you know. And then I finally, you know, at the end of the show, I was like, so do you, uh, can you get a hold of some? And he was like, yeah. And then we ended up in my hotel room, and, and Jay Medicine Hat goes, uh, he just kind of mentions casually, yeah, I've had uh, three heart attacks. And I was like, 
sweetheart. To oh, for sure. From what? And he goes, from this. And he points at the Coke. And I was like, do you want me to do all of it? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like, like me to save your life? I'll, I'll, I can keep, I'll do all of it if you want. I'm happy if to that's help. better for you. Here, I'll do the next heart attack. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> this heart attack's on me. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have a heart attack for another uh, couple years after that. But, but yeah, uh, Jay Medicine Hat uh, actually gave me... Uh, he would later give me some of the best advice I've ever been given that saved me. Um, there was, uh, I've been really lucky that only two comedy club owners ever tried to stiff me. And, oh, shit. Uh, oh, wow. And there was a guy who opened up a, a club. It was uh, in uh, West Virginia. And I was called um, a guy down in uh, Orlando. Named uh, Gary Mankey said, "Hey, can you? Oh do yeah, yeah. Mankey. Yeah. He goes, "Hey, can you do me a favor and and help me out? I need you to. You know, there's a kid who's opening up a club. He's got a lot of money, and uh, can you do a weekend there? I was available on the weekend they had in, in mind, and I said, "Yeah, man." And I did the show, and at the end of the weekend, the kid tried to write me a check for half of what he owed me, and we went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But I mean, even Gary called me up to say. Hey man, uh, you know things didn't go too well this weekend. I was like, "What are you talking about? We did great." And he's like, "No, we didn't do great." And he was, he was. And I, I even called another comedian. I called Jim Florentine, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Have you ever had a weird issue with Gary Mankey?" And and Florentine goes, uh, "Well, I know there's an there's like a phrase." And I go, "What do you mean?" He goes, <laughs> "He goes the phrase <laughs> you've been mankied." And I was like, <laughs> what? what have you heard that? Yes, you have. I have a story. I'll you finish yours, and I'll tell you a story right. about Gary Mankey. Also, yeah. So this isn't entirely about Mankey because you know Mankey. Mankey for some reason is getting involved to tell me I'm not going to get the money that I was expecting, and the kid writes me a check for half of what he owed me, and uh, and that check for half bounced. Oh shit! Oh my and god! And I, I I went to his bank to to cash it out, and it fucking bounced, and. Uh, and I started calling and calling and calling, and the guy wouldn't pick up his cell. And then I finally started calling the club, and I would get these, oh, it was these awful, uh, a girl would pick up, hello, and, and I'd say, hi, is so-and-so in? And she'd be like, yes, he is. Who's calling? And I'd say, it's Craig Gass. And she'd go, oh, uh, he's in a meeting. Can I have him call you back? And I said, I go, look, you, you realize what kind of guy you're working for, right? And she goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, you do know what I'm talking about. I know this isn't you. This has nothing to do with you. I'm just telling you, you realize the guy that you're working for is doing this to people. And at some point, you have to realize this is going to come back and bite you in the ass too. This this is the right. kind of person you're working for. He's not paying people. And she goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And, she, and it was just like a weird, okay, whatever. So all I got left is I looked at the guy's calendar and I started calling everybody. And I was like, hey. Just giving you, I remember calling Jim Brewer and Jim Brewer was like, dude, I already know about it. I'm not getting on the plane. I told him I'm not getting on the plane. You should pay me, pay me up front. And I was like, all right. And I called somebody else, called somebody else. And they called Jay Medicine Hat. And I said, hey, dude, I just want to give you a heads up. It's Craig Gass. uh, You know, the club you're going to, the guy never paid me. This check bounce. Jay Medicine Hat calling back within five minutes. And he goes, hey, man, he goes, I'm going to help you get your money. And I said, I I appreciate that, but that's not going to happen, man. I'm, I'm just giving you a heads up. And he said, no, I'm going to help you get your money. He goes, uh, it's a check, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, how much is the check? And I told him, he goes, oh, yeah, it's going to be easy. And I go, 
okay? And he said, did he sign the check? Is his name on the check? And I said, hold on. And I said, yes, it is. He goes, oh, it's easy. Okay. So uh, <clears throat> this varies from state to state. Um, but uh, it's usually 750 sometimes $1,000. If somebody writes a check for more than that and it bounces, it's a felony. Oh, yeah. It's oh, a, yeah. yeah. yeah and a, I think it's a 500 or or 1000 based on state. I had an experience based on the where state. someone had defrauded me. Okay. And he said and if, they're, if they sign the check, it's really easy to prosecute because they signed the check. And anybody with a felony on their record cannot operate a business with a liquor license. So you'll take his whole business away from him. Yeah. It's really easy. Right. And I was like... I go, dude, I've been calling this guy for three weeks. He hasn't even picked up the phone. I've called. I hear it click. I know he's on the phone. Oh, he's, he's literally answering and hanging up on you like that? No, but you know when you call and you know somebody, there's like oh, a sure. click sound that goes yeah. right to voicemail. Gotcha. And they're on gotcha. the phone. Yeah. And I'm like, and, I, and every time I call, is, is the girl answering the, the club is, is saying, uh, you know, oh, she, yeah, he's not here as soon as she hears my name. And he goes, no. And he goes, trust me. He goes, you call the police department in Huntington, West Virginia, and uh, talk to the fraud department and at the police department, get the name of the, of the detective and, and just give him all the information. And so I did what he said and I called the club owner back and I said, hey, dude, I got no choice, man. I gotta, I'm going to have to prosecute you. And, and uh, I just talked to the detective so-and-so, Huntington Police Department, and, um, and this is going to be a really easy case to prosecute. It's a felony um, and uh, you can't operate a business with a felony on your record. He called me back with like literally within five minutes and said, uh, he goes, first thing out of his mouth was he goes, Craig, I just turned my phone on. What's going on? And I said, you have, you've had your phone on and your phone's been clicking through. I've called, you've been on the phone. I've called the club. You're not just turning your phone on. He goes, no, no, I got you. I got you covered, man. He goes, I'll take care of it, man. No problem. I, I can, I can send you a check. And, and I was like, you have to send me a check. It has to be a cashier's check, and, and it has to be here by tomorrow in order for me to stop, uh, or I'm, I'm going to prosecute you. And he goes, oh, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. And, he, and then he called me an hour later and said, hey, man, he goes, I, I'm at the FedEx place right now. I, the cutoff for overnight was at 3 o'clock. He's like, I'll have it to you in two days. And I said, it's not enough. I'm sorry, man. I'm gonna and he goes, no, I got it. And he sent me a picture of the, of the cashier's check, and I was like, and I said, all right. So I waited two days. I got the cashier's check. I went to his bank, and, I, and I'd been dealing with a woman there for a little bit. Um, and I said, hey, is there enough to – oh, it was a cashier's check. And she said, yeah, I got it. And I said, oh, thank you. And then I started to walk out of the bank, and I stopped. And I walked back up, and I said, hey, uh, quick question. And I took the other check out. I said, is there enough to cover this? And she said, uh, there is. Did you want to cash that out as well? And I was like, <laughs> and here's the crazy thing. I felt like I was fucking. You robbed. felt like you were the I bad guy. I felt like I was the bad guy. Yeah. Even though I was getting what I was supposed to get. Right. And I ended up cashing the other check. And within a month or two, and this is really rare in comedy for a guy to open. A, it was a, it's a major comedy club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 it's a yeah. name you're familiar yeah, 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 with, yeah. Yeah. and uh, it's uh, and I, I he he ended up closing his doors like within a month, and the employees just went to work one day, and there was like padlock. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. Every, get everyone work. got stiffed. Yeah, it was written about in the Huntington like Holy local shit. papers and shit. Jesus. Wow, it was crazy. 
It was crazy. So uh, what, what's your uh, Mankey story? Yeah. So we, uh, we hand out passes, all most probably all the Funny Bones do, for free, two free tickets. Sure. And yeah. uh, they're all around town. That's how we promote shows. And uh, every time uh, Minky comes in town, he gets a whole handful of them. And they are currency for him around town. And this is, a, this is, a, I was not there when this happened. This is from Nick Allen, who uh, is a local comedian. I know uh, Nick. You, yeah, you yeah, got yeah. him into uh, the Kiss concert. I got yeah. him to meet Kiss, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was rolling around with uh, Minky one weekend, and Minky had gone to breakfast at Burger King and traded passes. And then later on the afternoon, they went and went to a Burger King again. He forgot it was the same one. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Orders his meal, they come up, and he always waits till the end when it's time to pay. And he's like, call your manager over. And so they did. And he's like, here's a couple tickets to the Funny Bone, like not trying to pay for his meal. Right. And the manager's like, you've already been here today. <laughs> and I've already given you a free meal. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> so he had to pay for his shit. Oh, that's the best. Oh, but apparently, awesome. he, yeah, he goes around town and just trades, uh, trades our free tickets for uh, free meals and whatever. Well, I have to say... I actually learned that trade from rock bands uh, oh, when nice. I was a kid growing up um, and I started me becoming friends with a lot of my favorite rock bands. I was shocked at how often uh, rock band arena rock bands were doing that. Really? Arena rock. That's where I learned that thing from is I, I saw arena rock bands doing that. Uh, like, hey man, we want to get our whole band and crew into the movies. We'll give you guys tickets, and everybody be like, "Fuck yeah, man, we love you guys!" <laughs> and they would let the whole band and like you know twenty people into the movies and give them all the popcorn they want, and they'd all get tickets to the concert and go to the show. Which you know, it's a lot different than trading. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. From one to the funny bone. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I actually I, I remember seeing that when I was a kid and thinking like, wow, man, what a what a great way to like save money on the road. <laughs> right. So, but yeah, dude, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, there's a lot of interesting, uh, colorful people out there. But um, but I love it. I feel grateful to be able to do it, and it's a trip to um, see friends. Uh, or even just people who you admire uh, build their thing up and get inspired by like, wow, look at how huge he is now. And, you know, and there's some guys you sure. knew like, oh my God, you got to see this guy, Dave Chappelle. He's so funny. And, uh, and then watch him become as huge as he is, you know, or Dane Cook. Holy shit. I remember Dane Cook was like, that was the only thing, that was the only time I ever felt like the energy of like a rock star where every woman in the room wanted to just fuck the guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I remember, and Dane, um, I remember he used to perform at a place in, in Hollywood called, um, oh, fuck, what was the name of that place? It's in between the Comedy Store, uh, Dublin's. It was in between the Comedy Store and the Laugh Factory, and this guy, Jay, used to run a comedy night at Dublin's, and it was the craziest room because it was like one one night a week. It was like every Tuesday they would do a comedy show. And it would be all Hollywood kids, young, good-looking kids who actually listened. And they were very disciplined and listened. And that was so rare to have like, you know, the Kardashians and all like people like that showing up and and actually listen to the show and and, and be a good crowd. It was it was the place that everyone wanted to be at. And was Dane, this just a bar or was it actually it was just a bar? Yeah, it was just a bar that's that they crazy. and, and they would and they'd put out chairs every Tuesday night and probably I would say maybe 150 people, uh, maybe more. would get in there and Dane Cook would go on last 
And dude, Dean would fucking level that place. And that was the place I, I wanted to get into. And I had this amazing moment too. I finally get into the place. And for some reason, my first set there, it just landed. And, and it was like, I, I got two standing ovations in the first like three minutes of my first set there. I couldn't believe it. The guy, Jay, was like, oh, can you come back next week? And I go, fuck yeah, I'll come back next week. One of my really good friends who works in the music industry, uh, he's crying. He's like, because he's known me since I started. And he's like, man, I'm so proud of you, man. That was <laughs> <laughs> I, go, I go, yeah, man. I go, do they want me to come back next week? He goes, dude, I'm going to come back next week. And I'm bringing some fucking rock stars with me. And he, and he gets Dave Navarro to come see my show I, the next holy week. Holy shit, that's awesome. And I went up on stage a week later with the energy of a guy who just killed a week ago. <laughs> and I walked up so cocky. And immediately I could feel this room like, who the fuck's fuck this, this asshole? <laughs> and I start eating it. I start having one of the worst sets of my life to where I'm like, wow, this is not. And it's all because of my attitude when I walked on stage. I walked up super cocky. Yeah. And the crowd was like, fuck this guy. And yeah, I'm like, earn, and then I start, I feel my mouth getting dry. I can feel sweat in my pits. And I'm, I'm like, I'm stammering a little bit. And at the other end of the room, I can hear him clear as day. On I'm on stage. My buddy Dave leads into Dave Navarro and goes, "He's usually funny." <laughs> <laughs> I can hear him from the other side of the room saying that. I was like, "Fuck!" <laughs> I went from fucking king of the room to like, "Get the fuck out of here, man!" Oh yeah, and that, that's why comedy is great, man. It's, it's humbling as shit. Well, Dane yeah. Cook's one of those guys too that like, I mean, he blew up. With like the Facebook era, you know, he My was space. that dude. MySpace. 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 Yeah. MySpace. He was that dude Taking who like accepted everybody's <laughs> like friend requests on MySpace yeah. and would like comment back. Like, yeah. oh yeah, talk to people. Was, like, like really built really an audience. Big on His that, engagement yeah. was unmatched. I, I, yeah. I think of him all the time when I get messages. Like he would say, "Just respond to everybody. Always respond to everybody." And uh, and I, I think about that all the time. And uh, uh, yeah, he. Uh, the point about that uh, that rockstar energy is that I remember standing in the fire escape. The, the they didn't have a, a green room. They just had like a fire escape. All the comics would hang out at, and this unbelievably beautiful girl uh, walks over to us and she goes, "Oh my God, Dane, I love you so much." He's like, "Hey, what's up?" Cool. Yeah, thanks, man. And she goes, uh, can, do you want to do some shots with me? And he goes, uh, I don't drink, but, uh, you know, just, just get yourself two shots. She goes, okay. She went to the bar and she ordered two shots. She goes, this is yours. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, like, what the fuck? She was hot. She was yeah. smoking hot. I remember thinking, like, I haven't seen this in comedy. I've seen it in music, yeah, like, yeah. my whole life. But I've never seen that in comedy. Like, he was just a rock star. And he, he also was, like, nice enough to tell me a... Um, one of the greatest bombing stories I've ever heard uh, that happened at a club we all used to work at in New York called uh, the Boston Comedy Club, which yeah. uh, that show Crashing was based on. Yeah. And I, yeah. I can't yeah. believe yeah. it was based on the. And they made it look just like the old Boston Comedy Club. It was like three blocks away. But Dane has a great story about going up there. And uh, he said he did a set there one night um, in front of six. It was 1.30 in the morning, and he performed for six people. Oh, Oof. shit. One of the six people 
had all of his groceries on the table. Shut up. Because he's just taking a break on his walk home. Yeah, because there's, there's a barker. Yeah. The door guy was a barker, and the door guy was like, hey, comedy show, comedy show. And it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, man, I, I got my groceries. No, here, I'll help you with the groceries. Come here, give me groceries. Yeah. Yeah. Just no, trying to get people in. No cover. Come on, just two drink minimum. And the fucking door guy carries all the groceries in. And I think Dane even said that when he was on stage. He goes, is that your groceries? And the guy goes, yeah, and I have ice cream, and it's melting. Like, he fucking <laughs> put the pressure on Dane. So, so Dane is just, he, it's, it's just a bad setup, and he just is bombing in front of six people. One of the six people who is hammered gets up, stumbles across the room to the bathroom, closes the door, and starts violently vomiting in the bathroom <laughs> to where the other five people are like, oh, my God, is okay? <laughs> All they hear is, <laughs> there's a long pause, and they hear, <laughs> and the guy comes back out, starts stumbling over the seat, and Dane's standing up, and he goes, are you okay? <laughs> are you okay? Are you feeling okay? And the guy goes, oh, no, I just, I had some... <laughs> Bad comedy. And I was like, oh! oh! <laughs> and the guy with the groceries is like, ah! <laughs> He's throwing his ice cream up in the air. Oh, dude, it's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I fucking love. So I, I, I have done nothing but talk uh, ever since we cracked these mics, so... Is oh, there no, actual no, like fun. questions that you guys are... Are we just shooting the shit? No, no, or is there pretty shooting much just shooting the shit. shit. I, I do, do always like to ask, like, for road comics, especially one that's been doing it so long, what to you makes a good club? Like, because us as door guys, like we work here, we're at the same club every weekend. We don't go, like, so for you, what is it that makes a club good? Just one that helps with the audience. If there's, it's very rare, but you know, I did a show once in uh, uh, guys who own the Zanies clubs, and now I think they're partners in some of the improvs too. They used to have a room down in Davie, Florida, which is right next to uh, Fort Lauderdale. And uh, I'm on stage, and right from the jump, there was some really angry guy in the crowd. And I said, uh, how you guys doing? And um, somebody just said, fuck you. And, I, and it, was, it was a weird anger that I that said. That is super weird. And, and it was so angry that the, it's like the crowd doesn't even laugh. They're like, whoa. It's, it's crazy. Such a, this is real. And I go, man, you okay? And the guy goes, shut the fuck up and do your jokes, which is like, well, you can't really yeah. do that. Yeah. We're on this now. And the only way I could temper it, and I never saw anybody walk over to talk to him, the only way I could temper it was to be mindful and try to soften it with, uh, yeah, man, you guys ever blah, blah, blah. Angry guy, you know what I'm talking about, right? And then every once in a while, you gotta go fuck you. you know, and I was like, I was like, wow, what's going on over there? <laughs> and at one point, I said, uh, I go, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Angry guy, you know what I'm talking about, right? Angry, is he over there? Where's the angry guy? And someone goes. He went to his car. He said he was going to get something. Oh, shit. <laughs> and everyone on the ground goes, ooh. And I was like, there's no fucking way. That's what it sounds like. It sounds terrible. Yeah. And then I went on with the rest of my set. 
And I said, all right, thank you, good night. And I, I walk off stage, and the owner grabs me. He goes, get down, get down. And he races me into the kitchen. And he goes, the guy came back with a gun. He's, in the, he, he, he's out in the parking lot. He came back with a gun. And it wasn't me that he was mad at, but apparently the last time he snapped, a guy at his table turned around and said, hey, why don't you shut the fuck up? And the guy was like, yeah, you, yeah. And he goes out in the parking oh, lot, shit. No grabs a gun, shit. shows damn. a gun to the, the, the door guy, yeah. shows the gun to the door guy and goes, hey, I'm just letting you know, if I see the guy at my table, I'm shooting him. And the door guy is like, oh, and he picks up the phone and goes, <laughs> uh, he goes uh, hi, there's a gentleman here. And so the guy's out in the parking lot now, and they lock the doors, and they said, everybody stay in the lobby. And my favorite part of the story is that uh, <laughs> everyone's... Locked in the lobby because there was a gunman in the parking lot of Uncle Funny's. Uncle <laughs> <laughs> Funny's was the name of the club. So it's, uh, I think for me, I think it's, it's the most Florida story I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, so it is. It is Florida man. 100%. It is. And uh, it's a, um, for me, it's, it's uh, uh, a club that helps you uh, with your audience. Um, you know, when you um, get to, the funny bones, the improvs, they are always, uh, there's a lot of attention to detail and, uh, I'm pretty low maintenance and, and personally, I like it when something's wrong. I like it when Me too. a spotlight is off cause then I can use it, Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's not normally in a funny bone or an improv, but sometimes you'll do like a corporate show or some kind of like room or some of like, Hey man, we're going to, we're not going to open the doors yet. Cause the, the spotlight is pointing like towards your crotch and i'll be like don't fix it leave it right there i want, I want the spotlight right there yep because i want i want to use that on stage and like anything that's wrong i like to use it in there but uh but i like um i'm very low maintenance so uh for me it's just help with the crowd which isn't even that big of an issue for me so yeah yeah well there's a lot of people who can handle the crowd if they're a little bit out of you know hand and that's one of those things that as door guys we kind of have to wow that was weird my mic cut out um as I can hear you, can hear my you headphones too. are cutting out. That's what it is. Oh, okay. Um, as door guys, it's kind of weird because you know you have to gauge: uh, is the comic handling it, or are we going to have to handle it? I think your headphones yeah. are going out for the for the karma yeah. of Super Bowl Forty on the Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> stole the Super Bowl from the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, this is true. How does that make you feel, Scott? Oh, now my headphones are working, so I couldn't even hear what he said. Something about Scott is head. wearing a Pittsburgh a Steelers hat, and Steelers. which I actually respect. Uh, I, I love Pittsburgh. I love Green Bay because of the city's love for football. And, uh, and I'm honestly... I was at that Super Bowl. I've I've only been to the Super Bowl three times. I go to the Super Bowl every year uh, to interview the players on both teams and get silly content. That's yeah. awesome. And I've only gone into the game when the Seahawks are in it because the Seahawks are are my team. And uh, um, yeah, it's just dumb, silly stuff like um, a mythical bird. The <laughs> mythical bird. <laughs> That's right. And uh, when uh, like Tom Brady, it's just silly stuff like. Uh, you know, Tom Brady's just handsome. That's the only thing I think of when I think of Tom Brady. And uh, 
And when I, besides being the greatest, in, oh, I think about him kissing his son on the lips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's <laughs> some weird stuff weird. in that reality show. When you're going to bed or when you wake up? <laughs> Both. <laughs> Both. I think when, about eating cereal out of his chin. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the, nice the first time, <laughs> first time I saw Tom as your ball, I was like, hey, Tom, my name's Craig Gass. I'm a stand-up comedian, and uh, you're so handsome. Like, when you look in the mirror, does... Does your reflection ever just wink at you? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great and he laughed, and and uh, ESPN ran it, and I was like, "Oh, that's fucking awesome!" And then Brady's there a year later, and it's like, "Fuck, I already had a good thing with Brady, and now <laughs> yeah. I got to come up with a new idea." So the second time I saw him, I go, "Hey, Tom, my name's Craig Gass. I'm a, I'm a stand-up comedian. This is my friend Jason, and that, that's my friend Aaron. Um, we were discussing the four of us uh, together." And we were ranking the four of us from most handsome to least handsome. Obviously, you're number one because you're Tom Brady. But who would you rank as number two? And I pointed at myself. <laughs> number three and number four. And he goes, wait, who am I ranking? And I go, me and this guy and this guy. And he goes, all right, fan out. And I was like, oh, we all. <laughs> and I wasn't doing it consciously, but looking back, I realized I was sucking in my gut. <laughs> and, Tom Brady. And pushing my chin out for Tom Brady to think I was more handsome. Right? Yeah. It's a, it's a similar thing to comedy where it's like I just love discussing football and doing silly stuff with football players, you know. So I'm, I'm a huge uh, uh, football fan. And, uh, but yeah, so sorry, that's not comedy related. <laughs> no, no, that's, no, you're fine. <laughs> it's perfect. But yeah, dude, I, I go, uh, I was at that Super Bowl 40 and, and I didn't even think anything of it. I was like, come on, Seahawks, let's do it. And I started getting text messages from friends all over the country going, dude, even the, the announcers are saying that, that the referees are fucking this up and they're, they're like fucking over the Seahawks. And I still haven't watched the game <laughs> on video. Like yeah. I, I, I've been meaning to recently watch Super Bowl 40. So I could see what it, what how it plays out. I was just so excited to be in that stadium in Detroit and be like, "Holy shit, I'm here!" And I bought a hundred fifty dollars sweatshirt, you know, and uh, you know, and I, I was there. But man, my section looked like they were taking a team photo for the Steelers. Everyone was wearing a Steelers jersey <laughs> in that stadium. But yeah, dude, Scott watches that Super Bowl before every podcast we do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. before I go to bed at night, I just have it on fucking. Play. There's so many Super Bowls you can watch, man. I yeah. mean, the Steelers, yeah. Legendary, legendary organization. Yeah, see, I didn't have a choice when I was a kid. It was either that or being a Philly fan. And uh, my dad and I went to Philadelphia. Uh, so every year the Steelers and the Eagles play their last preseason game, kind of interstate rivalry. Right, thing, yeah. And they fuck around. And it usually swaps back and forth between what stadium they're, they're in. And uh, I went to, with my dad to the one in Philly, and we're both Steelers oh, fans. No. And my dad got jumped in the parking lot. No. So it's one of those things that's like, fuck Philadelphia. Fuck wow. all those How sports old were teams. You? I was like 16, 17. Wow. Just watching your dad get a you beat even up. Oh, no, I got beat up too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Dude, it was a father-son. Yeah, something <laughs> about There's something about Philly, man. It's, it's a, crazy. Their their fans will riot when they win and when they lose. Yeah. They don't give a fuck. Like dude, even like crazy. comedy shows. The first uh, big show I did in in Philly was um, it was me and Artie Lang, a bunch of Howard Stern comedians. We did a show at a place called the Electric the Electric Factory. Factory. I've yeah. seen a lot of shows there, and uh, so it's fifteen hundred people. It's sold out, and I get on stage. They're there to see us, and I get on stage, and they go, "Please welcome Craig Guess," and I go. How you guys doing? And everyone's like, ah. and I go, uh, so uh, my name's Craig. I'm uh, 
I'm from New York. Boo! And I yep. never recovered. Nope. From God just damn. saying I'm from New York. They kept booing and booing and booing. And I was like, do you guys want to hear some jokes? Yeah. All right. Well, shut the fuck up. Boo! And a pit and a fucking pretzel flew right by my face. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, yeah, dude. In the, the whole city is just fucking... And they hate everything New York. They want to be better than New York. They don't want any association with it. They have a complex, And man. it is it is insane. Yeah, yeah it's, I love it. Yeah, I, I remember being at LAX and a guy in front of me in the TSA line had a NFL Players Association shirt. I was like, hey, how'd you get that? He goes, oh, I used to, uh, used to play football. And I go, oh, no shit, what team? And he said... Uh, the Eagles, and I was like, the, "Oh, really?" And I said, "Dude, the fan are those fans?" And before I even finished the question, he said, "Every game was a road game. Yeah. Every game was a road game." And I was like, "No <laughs> shit! Wow, wow, yeah, yeah they're nuts." Yeah, but uh, what else are the uh, common questions that you ask comics that come on this? Well, I had a question for you, just because uh, I know you do impressions, which mm -hmm. is something that I secretly wish I was better at. And so I just wanted <laughs> to know, like, do you just hear a voice and, like, you're able to just do it right away and you know you can do it? Or do you, like, have to practice it after hearing it for a while? I never practice. I should. But um, I've always been able to do voices because of my background. I grew up in a deaf family. My, yeah. uh, my whole family's deaf. So growing up in a deaf family, I, I, um, I learned uh, I couldn't learn how to talk for my family. I learned how to talk by copying all the voices I heard on TV. And I started mimicking all the voices. And uh, uh, which, by the way, I can already feel the sensitivity about talking about every time I talk about my family being deaf, there's always like, a, oh. <laughs> probably uh, should be said like almost everyone except I did a show opening for Metallica I did I was I'm the first comedian to ever uh, do stand up as an opening act for Metallica and the drummer introduced me to his band and he said dude this is the guy that does all the voices do some impressions for my guys <laughs> come on man do some impressions and I'm just sitting at a table with four guys from Metallica uh, doing uh, impressions and telling them jokes and it's me four guys in Metallica and a security guy and then uh, their singer looks at me and goes how'd you learn how to uh, do voices do you practice or and I said no I don't well, it's kind of a weird story. I don't know if Lars told you about my family. He goes, dude, his whole family's retarded. I go, they're retarded? <laughs> they're fucking deaf. They're not retarded. Stupid. Deaf, retarded, whatever. His whole family's fucking retarded. I go, no, they're fucking, dude, you're fucking my story up. Jesus Christ. Yeah. But I, I always feel like a sensitivity oh. to my uh, family being deaf. People always yeah. want to be really careful. And uh, But yeah, it's uh, so I always had this natural for um i would uh talk like all the people i heard on tv whenever it was needed uh and a phone call needed to be made by an adult i <laughs> could do an adult voice and and use the vernacular of an adult and i just always had a knack for and the weirder the voice the easier it is for me to do it Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, like all your voices are very normal voices, so it's like you got to really listen to hear like what is the niche in this it's like i'm starting to reconnect with the howard stern show again uh and they just gave me this is like my homework assignment tonight and i'm supposed to send them a list of or not a list i'm supposed to record a bunch of impressions for them tonight and uh so i'm gonna just like listen and 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 i can usually uh they they are unique voices so 
But yeah, right, right, right. like sometimes like, uh, you know, I, I started out on the Howard Stern show back in 1995 um, uh, doing this terrible, terrible, terrible piece, um, which was every time a, a bad person died, Someone we could all agree is a bad person. Sure. Like like Jeffrey Dahmer. When yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer died. But he was such a sweet boy. Yeah. <laughs> so hungry. He was so hungry. And, uh, but like when Jeffrey Dahmer died, I like got out my pen and started writing out. And I would go on the air the next morning as Sam Kinison calling live from the gates of hell with the dead guy. <laughs> and uh, and it would be, you know, hey guys, this is Sam Kinison. And uh, I'm down here in hell with Jeffrey Dahmer. And this guy is already looking at my ass like it's a T-Boat! <laughs> 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 it was just like, and then I started doing more and more voices on the show. And, and uh, you know, anyone who I'm a fan of, I can already hear in my head. Uh you know, uh, and then, uh, yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's just stuck there. Or sometimes somebody will strike me as really unusual. I remember telling a, a friend of mine, like, hey, did you watch The Tonight Show last week with uh, Tom Arnold? It looked like he relapsed. He was like... He was he was up in the guy's face and like, hey, you know what? I love fat women and cocaine and uh, and uh, you know. And my buddy looked at me and said, I didn't know you could do that voice. And I was like, I didn't know that either. That was crazy. And I, you know, and like it, it's weird. Like sometimes it's right there, and it's like tuning a guitar. You know, right. like huh. sometimes it'll be one. Like I'll I'll hear something and I'll go, oh, that's a funny word. You know, like uh, Christopher Walken going, little man, little man. A little man, and then I'll do that over and over again, and then that just kind of turns into like my tuning thing that I can eventually start using other words with that tone that you developed. Pow, you know. <laughs> so yeah. And, so that, yeah. that that reminds me, like I heard Frank Caliendo talk about that once, where like it's you got to find like for him, he'll find a phrase like when he learned how to do Morgan Freeman, mm -hmm. like he had to find that phrase, he had to get the the depth of his voice right, and he could say like maybe a couple words. Take and your then, time. Yeah, he tuned it <laughs> to where he could eventually start saying other things and like worked it through to where now he can just talk like that. Such a smooth voice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You could use this voice to sell coffee. You ever, uh, you ever pull out Morgan Freeman in the bedroom? In the bedroom? What's that? You ever pull out Morgan Freeman in the bedroom? In the bedroom? There's, uh, I've had people say, hey, do you ever do, uh, the girls ever ask you to do impressions while you're having sex? I'm like, yeah, I don't think uh, Sam Kinison comes up. I'm like, turn around! Do it, you fucking whore! Oh, take it in the ass! Oh, oh! <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, but uh, doesn't translate too well. Doesn't translate too well. But uh, yeah, but I, I and I love hearing impressions. And then you know, it's like sometimes it's like uh, I, I will do some version of your voice if I'm talking about you. I just that's just the way I communicate uh, with just people. Just like naturally, like, yeah. like yeah, I'll just and then like and there are some guys who I've talked about so much that. It's right there. Like for years, it was like Tracy Morgan was that guy that you'd be like, like <laughs> every comedian would have a story of like, you know, if, if Tracy Morgan was in the room, there's always one comedian looking at you and go, you ever 
Try to talk to that guy. <laughs> There's so many unusual stories about Tracy, and uh, and I would share my version of stories, and I would hear so many. Oh my god! Like um, I remember um, Hannibal Burris had this amazing story about uh, in Chicago. I guess Hannibal started in Chicago, and his first mm-hmm. big gig was at the Chicago Theater, opening for Tracy Morgan. And he's he actually bought a block of tickets so his whole family could watch him perform at the at Chicago Theater. And uh, he's never met Tracy before. He knocks on Tracy's door. Hey, yo, Tracy, my name's Hannibal. Um, I'm your opening act. Uh, I, I nobody told me how much time to do. I don't know what you wanted me to do tonight. And he said, Tracy Morgan looked at me and said, The way I see it. You're going to be like that date rape drug. I'm going to be the big black dick that comes up behind you. <laughs> and Which Hanna- is the craziest answer <laughs> And Hannibal's response is, Hannibal's response is, okay, is that uh, 15? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how long date rape is. Uh, like, oh, yeah. Some say it lasts a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, it, it's, there's so many great Tracy Morgan stories and like, I, I never worked with him here, but uh, I heard that he was in the green room, which our green room is not behind the stage here in Omaha. It's in the hallway. Yep. And uh, it was time for him to go on stage soon. And he was just in there and kept shouting, I'm not going on stage till someone sucks my dick. <laughs> no, are you serious? And everyone's just kind of like, the story I was told is everyone's just kind of like, well, I don't know what the fuck. How are we going to get this guy on stage? You guys are looking at each other going, Scott, you going to go in there and do it? <laughs> Draw straws. <laughs> Someone's got to take one for the team. Oh my god! And eventually, he went on stage. <laughs> wow! What a fucking demand! Holy <laughs> right? oh, shit! That wasn't in the writer. Yeah. <laughs> my for first real. interaction with him, I used to write for a weekend update uh, as a contributing writer, and then every once in a while, I'd get up there on the eighth floor and just kind of hang out on the show night. And uh, uh, I saw Tracy in the hallway, and I go, "Hey, Tracy, my name's Craig." Um, I, I write for Colin. It was Colin Quinn doing a weekend update from I wrote from October 98 till May of 2000. <clears throat> and I go, Tracy, uh, my name's Craig. I, I write for Colin down the hall, man. I'm a stand up comedian. And I just want to tell you, I, I think you're the funniest guy on the show, man. I love you. And he was like, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so what you stand up comedian? I go, yeah. And he goes, what you doing next Friday night? And I go. Next Friday goes, next Friday! And I go, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so goes, you open it up for me at the New York Comedy Club. And I was like, oh my God, right on, man. Yeah, dude, yes, I'm in, I'm in. And he told me what time. And dude, I back then, like, I had nothing going on. I planned my whole week around. Like, I'm open for Tracy Morgan, man. I'm open for like, <laughs> oh, everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I get there on Friday, and and uh, the crowd, thank God, was really nice to me. And I had, a, <laughs> I felt good about the set. Walked off stage like, yeah. And then Tracy's at the bar, and he goes, hey, Craig, what you drinking? I go, oh, uh, can I have a Corona? And he goes, yeah, you could have a Corona. So how you like this? And I said, how do I like this club? And he said, no, how you like stand-up comedy? And I go, Oh, I'm I'm head over heels in love with comedy, man. I I love comedy. He goes, you gotta be like Bruce Lee in the six foot kick. And I said, the what? <laughs> <laughs> goes, you don't know about Bruce Lee in the six foot kick? They say when Bruce Lee kick you, you go back six feet. That's why when people are like Tracy, how you living? I'm like, 
I'm six foot kicking it. <laughs> you got a six foot kick your way through life. And then he got physically, in your face. physically, nose to nose with me, spits flying out of his mouth into my eyeball. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, yeah. Oh, dude. It's just a different level. Is it true yeah. that he does walk around with a guy that's probably the same age or older than him and calls him his son? I've heard uh, that was on uh, the show that he was on, but I've heard that he does this lately. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm just realizing that. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm just realizing my favorite uh, entertainment business story involves him. <laughs> uh, I, like, there's so many great stories. Like, my friend Brian Bowden, who's this great comic from Providence, was telling me that uh, Tracy Morgan actually walked into an open mic in Providence once. And, uh, and when he watched him, he was like, holy shit, <laughs> there, was a, there was a kid at the door. And he had a notebook out, and he had a pen. And Tracy Morgan walks in the door and grabs that notebook and goes, Get that shit out of here! <laughs> Comedy comes from the heart! <laughs> Don't you be reading no books! Comedy comes from the heart! And the kid was like, That was my list of phone numbers. He goes, I don't care! <laughs> Comedy comes from the heart! Come from the heart! And was like, What the fuck, dude? That was my list of bookers. Like, oh, dude, but my favorite, oh, I was doing a show one night at Caroline. Lines, opening for Dave Chappelle. Uh, Dave, is, it's like a Monday night. Dave is doing these Monday night shows. Yeah, I guess it's 2001. And he's actually rolling clips of this new show he just did called The Chappelle Show. Oh, he's yeah. like, hey, you got to watch, you know, hey, man, this is great clip. I want you to watch, man, this is about a racist black dude doesn't know he's black. And then he rolled this clip and, and it's brilliant, you know, and I'm, he's doing this every Monday night. So anyways, I'm doing the show. His agent walks up to me. And I talk about this on stage sometimes. This agent walked up and he goes, did you hear about the fucking party last weekend? And I said, did I hear about what? And he goes, did you hear about the fucking party last weekend? I go, no, what party? And he goes, Tracy Morgan had a party that turned into a fucking orgy. And I was like, what? <laughs> turned into a fucking orgy. We're standing around with our suits on and there's naked people. Fucking. But he did it like that with the two fingers. <laughs> and I looked at him and I go, fucking like that? Like pushing the finger? And he goes, oh, fucking like <laughs> and Tracy Morgan comes around the corner, takes off all his clothes, starts fucking everybody. I was like, what? <laughs> when was this? And he said, last Saturday night. Right at that moment, Tracy Morgan walks around the corner. I haven't seen Tracy in probably a year at this point. And I go, Tracy! I heard your party was fucked up, man. And Tracy rolled up and he just eyeballed me. He looked around. And he kept staring at me. And he went, it was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy, Craig. You know what's crazy about it? When you get off on my floor, you don't even hear nothing. You don't hear nothing at all. <laughs> then you start walking towards my apartment, but you still don't hear nothing. Then you knock on my door, but you still don't hear nothing, right? And when I open the door, there's buttholes and toes everywhere. <laughs> and I just looked at him like, I've never, never 
heard that phrase before. And I, I actually stopped and said, did you just say buttholes and toes? And Tracy Morgan stared at me and said, yeah. Before he added, some of them buttholes or some of them toes were in the buttholes and he walked out of the room. It was one of the most magical things I've ever heard in my life. Uh, I have a feeling we're going to go longer than you usually go. So. Oh, no, that's fine. We usually do an hour to two, so it's All right, cool. Oh, yeah. cool, 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 cool. Uh, um, so I, I know you're, you're so awesome. big in the music industry, and you talked about opening for Metallica, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that's amazing. But what was that that first time you went out and opened for him? Uh, we asked Big Jay Okerson because he opened for Corn. Uh, Oh, that's right. Uh, we asked him, you know, was it like uh, everybody thought it was just the fucking roadie that grabbed a mic and went out? Like, how was that I experience? feel like that's a real old school thing. Like, that date, like, back to, like, like fucking, like, vaudeville is there's, like, it would be, like, even, like, uh, the Pauly old. Pauly Shore's uh, dad used to open shows, for like, there'd be Elvis. Like, um, yeah. 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 It'd be, like, a comedian, then, like, Sammy. a juggling act, then, like, music. Or, right, like, yeah. It was, like it was really way like more. A, I think it was way more accepted as just an evening of entertainment. So right. I mean, yeah. even in the 70s, there's a legendary story about Steve Martin being the opening act for the Doobie Brothers. I heard about a show at, uh, I think it's called Heckhead Pavilion. Is that what it's called? The, it's a arena where the UCLA uh, basketball team plays in Los Angeles. And the Doobie Brothers did a show there where they put the stage in the middle of the floor and they played to half the arena. Uh, there was no curtain. They're just it's just kind of like an exposed oh, sure. area. So like there, yeah. you see half the arena behind the stage, and they're playing to this half of the arena. And uh, and apparently Steve Martin was introduced. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your opening act, comedian Steve Martin. And Steve walked out and faced the empty half of the arena and said. Well, I expected there to be a lot more people here tonight, but here we go. <laughs> and he did his entire set with his back to the audience and kept going, wow, you guys are louder than I expected. <laughs> and, and, and it's fucking that's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. And then for a long time, it's just, um, it's not only that there wasn't uh, uh, comedians uh, performing with bands, but... Uh, whoever the headliner is, it's similar genres. People are not open-minded enough to see different types of music on the same bill. Whereas in Europe, you'll see a lot of different types. You'll see like, you'll see Rick Springfield perform at the same festival with, uh, with heavier bands and lighter bands and, you know, uh, or a festival where there's just, yeah, but people seem to become more and more open to it. Now, when I opened for Metallica, I think it was 2002, so that was right around the St. Anger album. Oh, dude. It's so funny you say that because the relationship started with uh, some shit that went sideways with the fucking St. Anger album. I was, uh, uh, fuck. Uh, I'm going to try to make this as short as possible. Uh, you're you're uh, fine, man. <laughs> okay, all right. So I am, uh, uh, there's a guy, I'm going to perform in St. Louis, and a buddy of mine who worked at K-Rock, uh, which is where I did the Howard Stern show from, is now doing afternoon drive at this rock station in St. Louis. His name's Woody. He's now a big, very popular morning guy in Los Angeles. So Woody says, dude, when you get to St. Louis, you can hang out my whole show. Just just, just come in. I'll let you hang for a couple hours. Cool. So I get into St. Louis, and, um, and my buddy Woody had been talking shit about the St. Anger album. For the snare All, drum? Uh the sound, everything. He was talking shit. That's really interesting. It's, it's such a minutia that that fans I'm about of, it. 
And, uh, <laughs> not about it? No, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm about the conversation. Okay, yeah. so, uh, so my buddy is talking shit in a major market on about the new Metallica record. And then, uh, and I'm about to drive over to join him so that I can pro- promote my show on Friday. And Lars Ulrich, the drummer of Metallica, gets wind of, there's a guy in St. Louis talking shit about you. And he gets the phone number for the station and he calls him up and says, hey, what the fuck's your deal? And Woody puts him on the air. And my friend, Woody, knows this is huge. I have the drummer Metallica on the phone. Right. So he doesn't play any music. He doesn't play any commercials. And he doesn't have a delay. Uh, most radio stations will have a delay so they yeah. can curse. So like, right. They, button. they hit right a dump and they'll say, hey, hey, you can't curse. And then, and then it kind of picks up the feed. And then, and then you're good again until you use the dump again. And there's no dump. And... And every tenth word out of Lars's mouth is a doozy. <laughs> and it's all going out live on the air. And I'm driving for like 30 to 45 minutes, and he's still on the phone. I get to the building. He's still on the phone. The receptionist lets me upstairs. He's still on the phone. I walk in the studio. He's still on the phone. I walk in. I go, dude, what the fuck? Am I coming on the air? And he looked at me, and he goes, I can't get rid of him. I don't know how to get rid of him. And then he goes, wait, wait, I have an idea. And he goes, take that microphone, go, go grab it. And he goes, Lars, let me, yeah, that, that is crazy. I, that's true. Uh, okay, let me just cut you off for one second. For those just joining the broadcast, we have Lars Ulrich from Metallica on the phone from his house in San Francisco. And Lars, you're not going to believe this, but we have a couple of guests that want to say hello to you. And I was like, no, no, no. And he goes, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons from Kiss are here in the studio right now. And Lars goes, is that really Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons from Kiss? It is. Guys, say hello. Hey, Lars, this is Paul Stanley. And this is Gene Simmons from Kiss. And I'm going to get right to the point, Lars. A lot of people steal from Kiss. You know it and I know it. But on the new Metallica record, I think you've gone a little too far. I'll give you a perfect example. I want you to name one song on the St. Anger album that's totally original. Just one. And he goes, I mean, I think all the songs are pretty, pretty original. Right. But if you had to pick one song, what would it be? I guess if I had to pick one song... It'd probably be, and he gave me a song title, and I said, that's a great song, Lars, but I liked it a lot better the first time I heard it when it was called Beth. And he goes, how do you hear Beth? And that doesn't make any fucking sense. (laughs) And he started arguing with a fake Paul Stanley and a fake Gene Simmons. And then my buddy Woody goes, hey, uh, I'm going to stop you guys for one second. Just stop the fighting for one second. Uh, Lars, uh, next door, we have a talk radio station next door to our rock station. And they have a movie critic every Friday that comes in to review new releases that are coming out. And they have stars from the movies. And uh, we actually have the guest from uh, the new movie release, Christopher Walken is in the studio right now. Do you mind saying hello to Christopher Walken? Is that really Christopher Walken? It is, Lars. I love Metallica because I love cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) And then he started talking to Christopher Walken, and then Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons kept arguing with him. At one point, I was Phil and Samo from Pantera. Nice. And then my buddy goes, uh, hey, you're not going to believe it. Sam Kinison just walked in. And I go, hey, Lars, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, you and I used to do cocaine in the 80s until you stole all my blow. (laughs) And Lars goes, 
didn't that guy die like 15 years ago? <laughs> and we go, yeah, it's really weird. And then, uh, and then my buddy goes, hey, Lars, I got to let you in. This is a, a comedian friend of ours, Craig Gass. And you know him from the Howard Stern Show, blah, blah, blah. And Lars goes, dude, are you going to be in St. Louis when we get there? And I said, no, I don't, I don't live in St. Louis. I live in New York, so I will not be here when you get here. And he said, well, I'd love to hang out with you the next time that uh, you come out to a Metallica show. And I said... I'd love to hang out with you, dude. I, I fucking love you, man. I fucking love you. And I thought that was an awesome day. And a week later, I was back at the show in New York, and our producer, Gary Delabate, walked up to me and said, hey, so uh, it's kind of a funny story, but uh, I got a phone call from Electra Records, and apparently one of the guys in Metallica is trying to track it down, man. And he gave me this phone number to call, and Lars... Um, this guy from the record label said, we're doing a promotion for the new St. Anger album where uh, it's going to be in two weeks. Um, Lars, uh, we're doing a show in Denver. Lars is taking over this radio station for two hours, and it's called Late Night with Lars, and we're going to be syndicated to 20 markets. And I guess you do impressions? And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah. Uh, so Lars uh, uh, wanted to fly you out to be his co-host for the show. And I'd never, uh, I met him as a fan. That's so cool. And and so sight unseen, he he flew me out to Denver, and then we started a friendship. And then uh, I think it was within a year or two, uh, Metallica announced they were going to do one show after the Video Music Awards. They weren't on tour. They were going to do a show in New York City at a place called the Bowery Ballroom. It only holds 1,000 people. And uh, the only way to get tickets was to win them through the Metallica fan club, or through our radio station, through K-Rock. Oh, no and shit. I called up Lars and said, uh, if Metallica had any balls, they would let a stand-up comedian open up for them. And I still have the voicemail. I, <laughs> I saved uh, his voicemail. Boop. Hey, man, it's Lars. I, uh, I talked to James, Kirk, and some of the other guys. And yeah, man, come down and do... 15, 20 minutes or whatever the fuck it is you do and let's have some fun, huh? Ha! Huh? And, uh, <laughs> and, got, so and then <laughs> this, this crazy thing happened that, that kind of set in stone how I would continue to do this as I got offered more shows. Uh, I got to open for, uh, I did a tour with Alice in Chains. I've oh, opened dude. For, oh, wow. I just came. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, they, they offered me a, a tour with Alice in Chains, a uh, full tour. Post like, Lane Staley, obviously. Uh, yeah, with uh, with William as their singer. And He's incredible, though. He really is. Oh, my God. He really is. And and all the guys in Alice, yeah, well, that's a whole other story. But um, uh, System of a Down, I... Uh, uh, who have always been huge supporters of mine, and uh, Sugar Ray, whatever. It That night, what I was going to do for all my future gigs was set um, out of fear. <laughs> Lars went up on, uh, he, he came up to K-Rock to talk about this special event they were going to do. And he said, hey, by the way, uh, guess who our opening act is? It's your very own comedian, Craig Gass. And I, I texted him and said, dude, don't tell people I'm opening for you. and Because I didn't want people coming to the show and going, uh, I heard a fucking comedian's opening the show. Like, oh, fuck this guy. Because I know that even when I go to a Metallica show, I don't even want to see a comedian. I just want to see Metallica. Yeah, yeah. You don't even want to see the opening bands. Yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> right. You don't even want to see the opening bands. And, and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm getting nervous about, like, I walk in the building and I'm like, oh, my God, everybody here is on coke. 
Like, and I'm going to try to do stand-up, <laughs> right. and, and it just hits you. And I said, uh, I said, dude, don't tell people. I, I, and he said, dude, his idea was, dude, I'll, dude, you're fucking overthinking it, man. I'll just go out on stage, and I'll say, hey, I am uh, just want to say hello. The guys in Metallica are ready to kick your fucking ass tonight. But before we do, I'm going to bring out a good friend who's going to tell you some jokes. And I was like, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> That's the worst intro you could Hi, I'm one of the guys in Metallica. A friend of mine is going to tell you some jokes. Yeah. Like that's not even he's a stand up. You've seen him on this. This is like just a friend. It's going to come. And he said, "Dude, what the fuck? What do you want to do?" And I said, "Just give me the mic and I'll walk out on stage." And I walked out on stage that night and said, "Good evening. My name is Craig and I am Metallica sound man." Everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> and I said, uh, "The band has some very important announcements they wanted me to make." Everything I said was total bullshit, <laughs> but also really cool and got everybody fired up. And I said, you may have heard some rumors and it's true. Metallica is recording our first ever live album right here. <laughs> so I need your attention. I need your attention. There's a proper way to yell on a live album. So we need to rehearse this. And they followed every stupid instruction I gave them. Oh, and I filled in a bunch of jokes. So everyone's laughing, but they're all listening. Big J had the ballsiest approach. He walked out as a stand-up comedian and just went for it. Yeah. And I hid behind that. And I've gone on to do that so many times. I've done shows with the Struts over the last couple of years, who are a really cool new band. Corey Taylor and I have done a uh, several shows now. Uh, Corey Taylor, the singer of Slipknot, yep. has yeah, a group yeah, called yeah. Uh, CMFT. Uh, Corey motherfucking Taylor. Taylor. Corey motherfucking Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> and we did a bunch of shows across the Midwest together where I just went out and said, hey, you know. You know what's funny is Corey's buddy, um, his best friend Jason, is uh, is the bass player. And it's turned into this whole thing like, hey, my name's Craig, and I am Corey Taylor Soundman. <sighs> and then I'll stop and go, oh, my God. Nobody's ever, uh, nobody's ever appreciated me like that. <laughs> can, can, can we do that one more time? My name's Craig. I'm Corey Taylor Salman. <laughs> and I'll look around the stage of the road crew and I'll say, that's how you show respect, motherfuckers. <laughs> Nobody in the road crew is even looking at me. <laughs> you think I like giving up my holidays away from my family? No, I do it. Because I believe in Corey Taylor. Yeah. You think I like awesome. spending my holidays in Waterloo, Iowa? That place fucking sucks. <laughs> but I do it because I love Corey Taylor. And then the people of Waterloo cheer. Oh, yeah. yeah. We hate well, it too. They know it I sucks. Said, literally a week ago, Corey brought that up and said, he goes, you know, I still get like hate mail. Like the fucking guy made fun of Waterloo. <laughs> and then I'll go, you think I enjoy doing cocaine? I love doing cocaine. <laughs> and then I'll go around the stage like I did it with Metallica. Um, I'll go around the stage. I go, over here, stage left. There's a gentleman by the name of Kirk Hammett. <sighs> and Kirk wants you to know a few things. And it, the whole thing becomes like a rally to get fired up for the band. I was and then when I say that, you're doing the best job. Oh, of getting dude. Yeah. I, there's for, some bands that are already I, pumped up. And they're already pumped up. Over the top. And then when I say we're recording a live album, I say, <laughs> so here's the thing. I need you to sing every song 
top of your lungs, man, because we're recording this, man. Like, who, who, what's your favorite Metallica song? You know, whoever I'm performing with. Like, who, what's your favorite Corey Taylor? What's your favorite struts, whatever? And the people are like, oh, and I'll go, I go, come sing it, come sing. And I'll bring a fan out on stage and I go, sing it. And I go, everybody sing along. And everybody starts singing. And dude, it just becomes this like, dude, this is going to be such a great night. We're recording it. Of course. They're not. They're not. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. But everybody, and then, and then I do announcements and I'll go, now here's a couple things you need to know. Uh, over here, stage right. I did this with Corey Taylor. I go, uh, is Zach Throne. He's a guitar player. And something you need to know about Zach, it's his birthday tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I go, so when Corey says, over here on guitar, please welcome Zach Throne. I need you all to go, happy birthday. Let's rehearse it, all right? All right, we're going to rehearse it. Here we go. Hey, everybody, over here on guitar, please welcome Zach Throne. Happy birthday. All right, great. Yeah. Uh, over here, stage left, is Jason. And Jason is is Corey's best friend. And one thing you gotta know about Jason, he's got the biggest dick I've ever seen in my life. That guy has a dick. This guy's dick has a fucking elbow in it. His dick has a fucking watch on the end. His dick is so big. So when they when he says, please welcome Jason on bass, I need everyone to go, show us your dick. And this weird thing happened after that first night of that tour where Jason goes, uh, see me. Am I mad at you? No, why? And he goes, oh, you made those jokes. And I said, I said, you have a big dick. And he, goes, <laughs> he goes, yeah, man. And I go, oh, you thought, no, I'm, I, I did jokes about everybody. I go, dude, I'm sorry. And so the next show we did, I said, over here on base is Jason. And when he introduces Jason, just say, we love you, Jason. Like, I didn't do anything with that. <laughs> and then I go over to the stage, right? And I go, over here on guitar is Zach Throne. Now, when he introduces Zach, I need everybody, because we're recording this. I need everyone to say, no means no. And everyone goes, what? <laughs> and, I go, and there was no laughter out of the crowd, but behind me, I could hear the whole band explode the laughter. I go, no means no. Well, I don't know. How far away are we from Arizona? You know what? Don't worry about it. Don't worry. We don't have to say that. We don't have to say Yeah. And sure enough, and when they That's said, great. please welcome on guitar, Zach. No means no. Like, oh, dude. That's a crazy approach. You basically made the crowd the joke, because like... They don't necessarily, like, they don't know you're a comedian, so you're going up there, like, telling jokes that aren't necessarily for them. Like, you get to walk off stage and be like, all that was a fucking lie. That's hilarious. So, like, they're technically the joke. There's a video of me on an arena stage. Uh, Type in my name and Motley Crue, Craig Gass, Motley Crue, and you can see me on stage in an arena on the farewell tour for Motley Crue. Where I'm like, it's all going down tonight. We're recording a live album. And I turn around. My buddy's filming right behind me. And I go, they fucking bought it. <laughs> and like, and I'm, I'm like in the mic. I'm lying to them. And yeah. then I cover the mic. And I go, can you believe this? Yeah, <laughs> that's fucking amazing. <laughs> that's such idiots. a great approach oh, dude, to it. It's, it's fucking amazing. And I, they, I and wish they, that those shows awesome. were recorded so that we could hear the the crowd the yelling. Crowd at the yelling. Band. Know, yeah, right? you can. It's, it's, Show us your dick. Yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, Happy birthday. Oh, dude, there's so many videos of. Uh, of and then Corey kind of took it and just ran with it. Like every show, he'd be like, let's that's hear some gr- guitar. And during guitar solo, Corey will go, no means no. <laughs> like, yeah, it just became this inside joke to all of us. And That's so cool. Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I know Jim Florentine and I have, have discussed this because Jim Florentine and I have both opened up for heavy metal bands. Yeah. 
yeah. uh, for hard rock bands, Don Jameson, um, and Jim I think Big Sting. Big J just said he just started shitting on the crowd. Like yes. That's what, well, that's what his approach to Jim it was. Jim Florentine yeah. had his out is he always had, uh, he did a whole tour with Slayer and Megadeth, and his out was he had the Jägermeister girls in every city. They would throw out T-shirts and stuff. And so he would do a few minutes of jokes, which is honestly, that's about what you can get. Like, yeah. whenever, uh, like, Alice in Chains took me out, and they're like, all right, so you do 30 minutes. And I go, uh, it's, I go that's you, insane. I go, it's hard to hold her. I go, you want to schedule 15 minutes and then be flexible because sometimes, and, and you can, even capturing an audience with the premise of, hey, I work for the band. Right. And the Still band not enough and the band has some really cool announcements. They'll be with it and they'll be like, No way. Oh fuck yeah. And then and I love after the show hearing from the band, they'll be like, Do like a text message from people going, Man, your fucking sound man is hilarious, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and and they, they they'll be excited, they'll sing, they'll be like, Oh man, this is gonna be awesome and then there's a certain point where like, All right, dude, well let's Let's fucking bring the band out. Yeah, let's let's do this. Yeah. Where's the people we paid big money to? Yes, say? yes. So there's there's a certain uh, um, there's a small window there, and Florentine will stop and just throw out t-shirts and like, hey, bring out the Jaeger girls. But Big J, we all like look at him like that. What Big J did, going out and doing a full set, and and I, his thing was shitting on somebody in the crowd. He would yeah. find one person. To, his crowd work is amazing. Yeah. His crowd work is amazing. So Him and precise. Ian Bag are like just oh, yeah. so incredible when it comes to crowd work. I had an opportunity Willie to see Farrell. Ian the other night um, in Vegas. He uh, two nights ago, right before I flew out here, I was in Vegas and uh, I didn't get a chance to see him. And it's weird. It's crazy. There's so many guys who are great that I never watch, and then I see him like like Segura um, that I've never uh, seen live until last night, and go fuck that guy's amazing. There's a Chris Porter. Oh, yeah. oh, he recorded, he recorded an album. A man from yeah. Kansas in this room. Did he really? Yeah. yeah. Dude, Chris Porter, I didn't, I knew about him, and I'd always seen him at the comedy He's store great. when he had long hair, mm-hmm. and I never, like, watched a set. And then him and I were booked on a on a comedy festival in Pittsburgh, and we were t- shooting the shit backstage, and he was really nice, and I was like, I'm going to go out and watch you, man. And I couldn't believe, not only did I become the lowest common denominator as an audience <laughs> member, I found myself getting worked up. That guy. He's so unique. And he has such so great good. arguments. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That I found myself oh, yeah. going, yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Fuck yeah. And I was like, yeah, like yeah. he got me really worked up. And I just, I'm always telling him, like, dude, you're such a good arguer. And he's yeah. like. He's good friends with Chris. Uh, from the Black Crows. Kid Rock. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Bla- Kid Black Rock Crows, and too. Black Crows. Crows. Yeah. Yeah, we've commiserated over those kind of experiences of yeah. being the comedian who's hanging out yeah. in the shadow. I love Porter. He's one who I had no idea who he was, and I saw him here live, and I was just like, what the yeah. fuck? This is awesome. Dude. Yeah, it was the first time yeah. I saw him. It blew me away. I'm like, yeah, holy he's so shit. Great. I never heard of this guy, but yeah. he's fucking killing it. He yeah. came with me to, uh, um, okay, so we were in Indianapolis at the same time. He, he was at one club. I was at another, and I had a, uh, again, I'm a huge Seahawks fan, and I've had these... Uh, series of embarrassing moments that I've had with different Seahawk players. And it all started <laughs> with uh, Matt Hasselbeck, who was the first quarterback to bring us to the Super Bowl before the Pittsburgh Steelers robbed him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Matt Hasselbeck, uh, I, someone introduced me to him, and I was like, hey, Matt. And, you know, and I, I took a picture with him, and he just walked away from me, and I was like really upset that he – I was like, 
man, we're not like I want. There's something about meeting somebody who you really admire where right. you want to stretch out a moment that is clearly over. Oh yeah. yeah. And he's walking away, and I was like, Matt. And then he turned around. And I put my hand out. And I was like, Come on, man. We're just like, <laughs> it's really <laughs> pathetic. And he's like. I would like, it's like, okay. Uh, and he starts walking towards me. And the only words that came out of my mouth, I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is it. We're shaking hands. We're shaking hands. This is, this is the quarterback of my favorite team. And he went to shake my hand and I said, you make me so happy. And he goes, <laughs> <laughs> and he walked away. And I, I fucking analyzed that for like 15 years. Oh, for I'm, sure. Uh, He's sitting around today going, hey, remember that guy? No. <laughs> dude, <laughs> He's like, dude, that, he probably like, this is why I don't meet people. <laughs> dude, that story had such legs, such legs that uh, I, I remember like every city that I go to, I, I, um, you know, I always do radio, and the sports stations in every city would contact me and say, hey, you know, we love Family Guy, and we love King of Queens. We love all the shows you've been on, but we're a sports station. Do you have any sports stories? And I always have to go. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I met my favorite really quarterback, <laughs> and uh, I think I started my period. And he goes, what? <laughs> Do you want to tell the story? And so I keep repeating the story in different markets every week. I keep repeating the story about how I love Matt Hasselbeck and I freaked out over him, blah, blah. And then I run into Matt Hasselbeck like 10 years later at the Super Bowl in New Orleans. And he go, I go, Matt, I just want to say hello. I'm a big fan. My name's Craig. And he goes, Craig Gass. And I went, Shut the fuck up! Are you serious? <laughs> You're the guy. You're the. Hold on a second, Brett. <laughs> Brett, come here. I looked over. Brett Favre starts walking towards me in what feels like slow motion, and Matt Hasback goes, "Brett, this is Craig Gas. This is one of the funniest comedians I ever met." And I went, oh, and my heart skipped. Now Brett Favre is floating. <laughs> the air. And his wranglers on. His wranglers on. His big giant quarterback hands, and he goes, "What's up, dude? I love stand-up comedy." And I went, "Me too." And I started crying. I started crying to Brett Favre and Matt Hasselbeck. At one point, has me too moment with oh. Brett <laughs> At one point, Matt Hasselbeck goes, "Hold on." He goes, "Hold on." This guy does impressions. Craig, do some impressions for Brett. And every impression I did was of somebody fucking crying. <laughs> I took a picture of them, and then um, uh, fast forward to Indianapolis. Um, Chris Porter's in town. I'm in town. Matt Hasselbeck is playing for the for the Colts as a backup quarterback to Andrew Luck. And I go on the air and do local sports radio in Indianapolis and talk about, you guys are so lucky, man. Matt did so much for me in my life. <laughs> he brought me to the spot. And I'm getting emotional talking about it on the air, and I tell my whole experience. And I get a call from somebody from the Indianapolis Colts who said, hey, uh, Matt wants to invite you to practice at the Colts. And I was like, oh, man. And my first thought before they even said it, and they were like, and he's open to filming anything. If you want to film something, I go, oh. Oh, shit. And I, Chris Porter and I met up, and I said, I go, I have an idea. Do you want to film it with me? And he goes, yeah, dude. So Chris Porter comes with me, and it's on it's on YouTube. Uh, Google my name and Porter's name or Hasselbeck. And <laughs> it's just something in the parking lot. And I, I, I threw out the idea, and I said, Matt, you're going to do this. Chris, you, you're with me, and this is what's going to happen. And Matt was like, got it. 
and we did two takes. They fucking knocked it out, which is just uh, <laughs> it's oh, yeah. Hasselback in the team, the players' parking lot. And I, he's walking into the car, and I pop out from the side and go, dude. And he goes, oh, hey, what's up, man? And I go, oh, man, I just, I'm in Indy. And he's like, oh, right on, right on. Cool. And I go, yeah, man, I'm doing a show. And he's like, yeah, I got a lot of stuff going on. And then he looks at Porter, and he goes, you're, the, you're a comedian. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, dude, last comic standing. And he goes, yeah. And he's like, oh, no way. And Hasselbeck hugs him. And I'm, I'm, in, I'm in between. I'm like, hey, dude. And nobody's, nobody's high-fiving me. And Hasselbeck's like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm performing. He goes, no way. I'm coming to see you. And he goes, oh, yeah, whatever. I'll hook you up. And he goes, well, let me give you my phone number. And he starts to give the number. And he looks at me. And he goes, just give me your phone, and he starts <laughs> typing in the phone number. And I'm trying to look over his shoulder. Oh, dude, they ah, oh, the, the way they play, That's like awesome. fucking Porter knocks it out, Hasselback knocked it out. It was it was beautiful. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's um, yeah. There's a series of embarrassing moments. I get excited, man. I get excited when uh, uh, uh when I see people. Like I, you know, I I remember there was at Super Bowl 48 when the Seahawks actually won the Super Bowl. Um. Uh, I was at the Super Bowl Media Center, and I saw, <laughs> this is before he flipped, I saw Rudy Giuliani in the Media Center. This is back when Rudy Giuliani was respected. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I'm, I'm a New Yorker, and I said, excuse me, Mr. Giuliani, my name's Craig Gass, I'm a stand-up comedian, and uh, I was home for September 11th, and I uh, wanted to say that, you know, in those weeks leading afterwards, that uh, you made me feel safe. Uh, you made me feel like everything was going to be okay, and I just wanted to say thank you. He's like, oh, thank you very much. And what is your name? And I said, it's it's Craig. And he goes, Craig what? I'm going to look you up. And I said, it's, it's Craig Gass. And he's like, oh, well, it's nice to meet you. And I go, oh, it's, it's an honor to meet you. And then I felt a hand on my shoulder, and I turned around. It was Matt Hasselbeck. He goes, see, you can be normal. And I go, oh, <laughs> you I go, he's not throwing. I'm not yelling every Sunday at him to win the game. This is different. I'm yelling at you, and you came through for me. Like, it's a totally different thing, dude. If I'm yelling at you yeah. for 17 weeks, and you fucking do everything I ask you to, and I see you in person, I'm, I fucking love you, dude. I, I'm like, I'm going to give you a hug. I'm going to tell you how happy you made me. Like, oh, yeah. like, cause there's it's fun so, to be a fan. Dude, well, there's so many times when you're like, come on, dude, and they don't do it. And when a guy comes through for you over and over again, oh, and yeah. then you get to meet him, it's like, and I, I understand, it's like, in that world, it's such a, uh, it's such a fucking macho thing, and then you're surrounded by dudes who want to hug you. Yes. Like, <laughs> when you're good at it. And it's like, yeah. all right, dude. <laughs> Take it easy, man. Like, <laughs> I think it's one of those things, too, for us, like, in comedy. Like, we all have our favorite comics, and it's one of those things, like, when you get to meet them in person, you kind of – that first time, you kind of fangirl a little bit. Like, oh, my God, I've seen you do all these things, and now all of a sudden I'm seeing you in person. It's like you're not – it's like they're not real until you've actually been in their physical presence. I, know, it's like this mythical dude, thing. I have a David Tell experience for Oh, me. love David so, Tell. Love Let's Dave. hear it. First time Such I got nice to see guy. him. All right, so let me preface it with when I was 11 and we used to steal cable. I used to watch <laughs> Insomniac. Yeah. Did, the same. did the same. Did the same. So I grew up like to age 10, 11, 12, watching him as I'd go to bed at night. And then to be working here and to see him, all I could talk about was the fucking weather. Really? We had this crazy giant snowstorm like that March before he was here. 
Where there was like billions of dollars in agriculture and like livestock that was lost. That's all I could talk about. And I don't fucking farm. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> that is drawn a blank. Awesome. We, I, uh, Dave is such a, he's such a mind blowing comedian. Um, I'm usually in New York once a month. Uh, to do sets, and I always end my nights by looking for Dave and watching him at one thirty or 2 o'clock in the morning. He likes mm-hmm. to do his sets really late, and um, and it's mind-blowing how every fucking night, um, from night to night, he changes up the structure of all his jokes. Yeah, He's so bored with his, and it's fucking killing, and then not only is it killing, and he looks disinterested, I've seen him get annoyed with people who laugh too hard. Yeah. <laughs> like I've seen him Crazy. like go, oh, pick a laugh. Come on. Like, and I'll be like, Jesus Christ, the guy's having fun, Dave. Like, we, we, um, I, I was in uh, Baltimore. I had a show on a Sunday night at like a concert venue in Baltimore. And Dave was out in Annapolis doing a Friday, Saturday night. And I'm done with my press on Friday. And I'm like, I'm going to see Dave. And uh, I didn't have Dave's number at the time, so I just showed up at the venue, and Dave was like, hey, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm just coming to see you. And he goes, yeah, you want to host? And I was like, I would love to host. So I ended up hosting the whole weekend. And, of course, I sit down and watch his set. And he comes out, and there's a joke that he did about anal beads that was <laughs> like, he goes, he goes, uh, he goes hey, you guys... Uh, all right, let's talk about anal beads. <laughs> and then he sees somebody throwing. He goes, "Oh, you don't know what anal beads are? I'll tell you what they're not. They're not a good gift for the holiday for a <laughs> company party." And, uh, and I was like, "Oh, that was a great laugh." And then the next night, he goes, "All right, let's talk about anal beads." Uh, and he sees someone in the front. He goes, "Oh, you don't know what anal beads are?" Uh, and he goes, uh, "Let me see if I can try to describe this for you. Anal beads are like finding out there's no Santa Claus." Seven times in a row. (laughs) (laughs) Who the fuck thinks of that? And then the next night, he goes, uh, all right, let's talk about anal beads. And he goes, and he doesn't even do the, that, that, he doesn't even go that route. He goes, uh, what do you say when you pull the anal beads out? I don't know what to say. I don't know. I came up with something. Maybe you could use this. When I pull out anal beads, I like to yell out, and your winning Powerball numbers are 12, 7, blood. Oh, dude. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. He it's, makes it look so effortless. Oh, my God. It's crazy. It's unreal. And it is. And it's like, you know, um, when I started, like, discovering Tom Segura two years ago and, and started going that, down that rabbit hole, I, I saw a podcast that Bert did with Tom uh, Dave is the guest, and uh, and they're both like all of us praising Dave, and Dave kept going. Well, this is a great gay moment we're having. <laughs> he, just, he just kept shitting on them. And Segura had an amazing story about how he uh, he opened for Dave for uh, uh, like five or six shows at an improv somewhere, and that uh, after the second set, Attell said. Why did you do the same material? And he goes, the same material? And he goes, yeah, what are you, an actor? Acting out your thing? And he goes, that's my set. 
And he said he just felt so shitty that. And that's what fucking comics do. You work on your shit. Yeah. And like it's, you know, it's like we're all like we're all mathematicians, and he's the only one doing advanced calculus. And, yeah. And it's and it's it's breathtaking to watch. Right. You know, and he he seems like he's not even into it. He's yeah. just fucking murdering, murdering, murdering. And uh, and just bored. Yeah, it's so yeah. easy yeah. for him. You gotta wonder who impresses him. You yeah, I mean? for real. Well, you know what's interesting is he has this incredibly warm heart. Yeah, mm-hmm. where he will support. There was a guy I I heard about in Seattle who got who got attacked on stage with a baseball bat. He was holy he was, shit. He was Jesus. he was hosting an open mic, and uh, there was a guy kind of a, as does happen at open mics. There was a guy who signed up as uh, Jesus fucking Christ. Oh. And he went Makes up and he, and he did this Hilarious. really just intentionally abrasive and shocking thing on stage. and A crucifixion of it? Whatever, <laughs> whatever it was, the guy who ran it said, hey, uh, uh, I think I'm going to take you out and I'm not going to have you on here. No. You know, he can yeah. come back. Like, yeah. I think he said, like, come back in six months or a year. But, yeah. Yeah. but this is not appropriate for, for an open mic. And a week later, the guy showed up with a baseball bat and attacked the, the guy Holy on stage. Holy fuck. Jesus and, Christ. Um, and Attell did a benefit from out in New York. You oh, know? that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, yeah, so he has this really warm side. He's a complicated guy uh, to uh, – I, I can actually picture him listening to this and being annoyed with me even talking about <laughs> it. But I remember, I remember Big J gave me some great advice once. Big J said, uh, when you talk to him, you got to let him – like, he'll always insult you. But if you just continue talking to him – He'll he'll break into a normal conversation. Yeah, and uh, I remember seeing him out in front of a, a club, and I go, "Hey, Dave, what's going on?" And, and I had my phone in my hand, and he goes, "Hey, phony." And I go, <laughs> "I go, That's so dope. I, go how, I go, how you doing there, Dave?" And he goes, "I'm doing good. How you doing?" And yeah. I go, "I'm doing good, man." And then we started shooting the shit. So I realized that was the trick. Let him, you know, because I always feel pushed back when people insult me. Yeah, let him snap mm-hmm. at you and then yeah, and it's like he's in. just he's just being a comic. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and then to see uh, if you can roll with the punches. Yeah, maybe and uh, <laughs> or maybe it's you know I I've always wondered if it was like a spectrum thing, you know, like because. Yeah. Because I'm not the only one who's like all comics talk about his close. Jeff Ross talks about how he has difficulty communicating yeah. with Dave. You know that Dave is just he's, and it's everyone loves him. Everybody uh, admires him, and he's just he's just he's a genius. He's in his yeah. own world. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. I mean, I talked to him just a little bit, but I think mostly what we talked about was he had. Jessica Kearson was opening yeah. for him when he was here. I oh, think wow. most of what we she talked is about so is awesome. how fucking amazing she is. Yeah, he was yeah. such a um, – Mitch was my first roommate in New York, yeah. and I know Dave loved Mitch a lot Yeah, and um, and was a huge supporter of his. And whenever there's any kind of like a, a packaged thing about Mitch, Dave is always open to sit down on camera, which he's not usually open to do, but he'll do it for – because he really respected and loved Mitch. Yeah, That's Mitch awesome. also kind of seemed like he was 
I mean, he murdered, but he also kind of seemed uninterested the same way Dave does. It's weird. Mitch, when I first met, when general. I first met Mitch, he was, he was, he, that, that's the way he talked on stage. And then off stage, he was more normal. And then over time, he started to the persona kind of disappear. Took over. Yeah. That's like, when, uh, that's like Andrew thing. Dice Clay. Morphed yeah, into yeah, personality. Yeah. yeah. Leaned into it real hard. Yeah. And he, um, yeah. He wasn't Brody kind of that same way too, like because he, he's well, yeah. Brody Stephen Bro like is it, it's well, wait, that was Stephen Brody name, Stevens or something like right? that, isn't it? His, his and then name he, was Stephen Brody. Yeah, Stephen Brody. And then he became Brody Stevens. That's yeah, what and then he became Stephen Brody Stevens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but I think I heard Josh Wolf talking about how he kind of did that same thing. He was not. He, he kind of came up with a different persona on stage. Yeah, when Brody first started, what Josh would explain. He was so shy yeah. and so insecure. Every fucking week, uh, our open mics at the at the Comedy Underground were Monday and Tuesday, and sometimes we can get on both nights. Um, but Brody would go up, and we, we each have five minutes. Something would go wrong in the first two minutes of Brody's set, and he would spend the last three minutes just shitting on himself. And it wasn't scripted because he came yeah. up with three completely different minutes of how he would shit on himself every set. <laughs> and then um, then he started doing this, uh, this uh, local public access show, with Tana, and then Tana said, "Oh, you should read this book." And it was basically "Fake it till you make it." Just yeah. pretend. He, yeah, what Josh Wolf kind of explained is that's he ended up going up on stage and being who he thought he wanted to be, and, and that's, that's what he projected out there. And that's when him and I started to have a conflict because I didn't know that that's what he was doing, right. and I yeah. took issue with his ego, right? Because he used to shit on himself, and then he started doing this thing where he'd go. Hey, you know what? I don't need this. Yeah. I'm on TV. Okay. Like I'm, I'm on public access and, <laughs> and, uh, and he'd say, uh, you I'm on that free TV. He said, you, you've probably seen me channel 29. Uh, I'm on uh, 1130. I'm up against Letterman and Leno. And I remember going on after, I remember a way to frame it That's in really, this area. I remember going up after him and saying, did he just say he's up against Letterman and Leno? <laughs> Dude, if I have the TV on and it's midnight and it's on public access, you are up against taking a shit or the battery's dying on my remote. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then I had this whole thing, and that's you know, and then him and I started butting heads, and then, and then, uh, and then he took a swing at me, and then he left for. I feel like a lot of stories I hear about him. He is kind of a volatile guy like that. Yeah. Like, well, you Don't know, let's do you know, this is what he what I always hear him like saying to people like uh, yeah, Danish well, and O'Neill are a couple guys from the comedy store that were door guys that always talk about getting into it with Brody Stevens a lot. Well, it's interesting because at his memorial, Jeff Ross came out and said, I, you know, I have to tell you, I fucking hated Brody <laughs> <laughs> until I got to know him because he was always this annoying guy. By the way, uh, as an example of how. Uh, amazing a memorial can be for a comedian. Um, Brody's memorial, I think, was like four hours, uh, four or five hours. That's amazing. That's awesome. So uh, the first person to walk out was one of his biggest supporters, Zach Galifianakis. And uh, uh, Zach um, uh, did a really moving, uh, really sweet tribute to Brody. And then they brought out an hour of friends and family of Brody's. And this is on stage in the main room at the comedy store. And 
some of them are trying to be funny because it's it's the and some yeah. of them are some right. of them are naturally funny. The ones who are naturally funny are going a little long, and you can feel that rhythm of like ah, dude, you should like as a comic, you think ah, you should have ended. Yeah, on that one, and you're still yeah. going, yeah. and and it just kind of goes on. It's it starts to drone for an hour with friends and family trying to be comics, and the last guy who was part of that family and friends group says something so sweet and so moving that the whole room starts crying, um, and the whole room is just is is tearing up. You can hear people sobbing, and they said, uh, "Up next, we're going to bring up Jeff Ross." Jeff Ross walks out. And everybody's crying, and Jeff goes, man, um, after listening to uh, Brody's friends and family for the last hour, I uh, I kind of get why he hung himself. <laughs> <Boom>! <laughs> and there was an explosion of laughter. There was such an explosion of laughter. And if Brody was there, he would have fucking loved it. it. He yeah. would have absolutely loved it. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I remember on the night that, that Robin Williams died that night, August 11th, uh, I was at a club in New York. David tells on stage and he goes, Hey, Jeff Ross is here. You guys want to hear from Jeff Ross? And he brings Jeff out on stage and he goes, how you doing Jeff? And Jeff goes, I'm fucking sad. And he goes, Oh yeah. Robin Williams. Yeah. It's tough, man. And Jeff goes, I guess, um, I guess he left a suicide note. And he goes, oh, yeah? What did the, what'd the suicide note say? And he goes, well, his assistant found him. So I'm guessing it said, clean this up. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I got, I got a huge laugh. And again, if Robin Williams was there, he would have fucking oh, yeah. loved oh, yeah. it. All right, I'm talking way too much. So give me some direction. <laughs> no, I, oh, no, it's that's great. A, this yeah. is what we're here this for. Is, yeah. okay. Can I ask you about uh, touring with Metallica and whatnot? I only did one show with Metallica. Okay. Um, but um, uh, those guys have always been uh, really nice to me and really supportive, especially Lars. Lars, and it's weird. Like, I would uh, feel nervous. There's a lot of people whose phone numbers I have, and I'll see their phone number, and I'll be like, Give me them. <laughs> you know what's funny is the really famous people are one word. Like George Carlin was just George. Eddie Van Halen was just George Carlin Ed. was my first comedy show I got to see. Really? Yeah, it was same a, here. It was a uh, Christmas present on his last tour, so it was '07. Wow. Um, which I grew up like watching Thomas the Tank Engine, which he narrated those. So I think yeah. he, I literally think he imprinted on my psyche, so that wow. when I started to get into comedy, I had seen all of his specials by the time I was like 12 or 13. Wow. And so then I. For Christmas, I was, he was coming to the Orpheum here in Omaha. So I was like, this is what I want. Don't get me anything else. Wow. Um, so I, I got a ticket. I was in like <sighs> the ninth row on the left side in the beautiful Orpheum. Wow. Um, and it was actually rescheduled once because he had to have open heart surgery. Yeah. Um, but like that was, uh, that was incredible. The last time I talked to him, I prank called him uh, <laughs> as Al Pacino and and I, <laughs> he, he picked up the phone and he goes, hello. And I said, uh, hi, George. It's, uh, it's Al Pacino. And he goes, yeah. And I go, yeah. Uh, I got a thing in my balls. <laughs> and I went on and on and on. And he was, he was distant. He wasn't swinging back. He wasn't laughing. I was going into a void and not getting, and I stopped and said, oh man, 
it's Craig Gass. And he goes, oh, hey, Craig. Listen, I'm at the doctor's office. Can I call you back? And I was like, oh, oh I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I want to make a comment about your thing about the cable. Because, uh, uh, and it's a long story, but uh, uh, I lived at Eddie Van Halen's house for uh, about four or five months back in 2004. Fucking rest in peace. Oh, my God. And uh, uh, when I first met him, it was at a bowling alley. Um, Somebody introduced me to his assistant and said, this guy lives with one of the biggest rock stars on the planet, but didn't tell me who the rock star was. And uh, the guy knew who I was and said, dude, I'm I'm a huge fan of yours, man. He was was telling me all these shows he had seen me perform in Hollywood. And so we exchanged phone numbers and I said, you want to go bowling? And and I was new to LA, so we made a plan to go bowling. And on the day we're going bowling... uh, I said, hey, dude, so 9 o'clock, is that cool? Because uh, they have uh, a league until 9. And he said, yeah, for sure. Is it cool if I bring my friend Ed with me? And I go, no, that's fine. And he goes, okay, because uh, I've been telling Ed about you for a long time, and he, he's, a, he's a big fan of yours, and he, he wanted to meet you. And I go, yeah, that, that's fine. He goes, all right, because he's got a kid. His kid's 12. And I go, dude, it's bowling. Who gives a shit? Yeah. And he showed up with Eddie Van Halen. And um, uh, Eddie, uh, like, we're waiting for a lane to open up. And it's just me and my friend Dave Lee, uh, who is the guy. Roth? Uh, no, Dave Lee is the guitar tech. My buddy Dave Lee is the guitar tech who, uh, and it's funny we're talking about Ed, but uh, but Dave Lee is a guitar tech who was the one who brought Dave Navarro to watch me eat my dick on stage. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, Dave's been a friend of mine. He's a guitar tech for... Uh, when I first met him, he was with Jane's Addiction. He worked with the Chili Peppers for 10 years. Now he's been with Maroon 5 for like seven, eight years. And um, so uh, Dave comes with me to the bowling alley. And the guy who introduced me to Maddie, the uh, assistant to Eddie Van Halen, is there. And I said, hey, where's your buddy Ed? And he goes, oh, he's always late. He'll be here in a minute. And then Eddie Van Halen walks in. And I go, what the fuck? And then this guy, <laughs> Maddie, stands up and he goes, Ed! And the guy walks over and he and he's smoking. You're not supposed to be smoking in the bowling alley. And he goes, "Hey, which one of you guys is a fucking comedian?" <laughs> oh, <laughs> I go, "Me." And he goes, "Hey, man, I'm Eddie Van Halen." And I go, "Yeah, oh, shit. yeah." yeah. <laughs> shake his hand. And he goes, "Wolfie, this is the guy. It's a fucking comedian." And I'm like, "Hey, what's up?" And come to find out. I start making all the connections that Maddie is Eddie Van Halen's assistant. Maddie lives on his property in a guest house and Maddie runs the 5150 studios <clears throat> where they record all the Van Halen albums, which is also on the same property. And uh, Maddie is such a fan of the Howard Stern show that he uh, um, uh, every morning would get up at five o'clock in the morning and go into the studio and turn the radio on at 6 a.m. And listen to the entire Howard Stern show from 6 to 11 so that he could uh, listen while he worked. And then when I started showing up on the Howard Stern show, he would come down and go, oh, my God, dude, there's a new guy on the Howard Stern show. Does a fucking Paul Stanley impression, like a talking Paul Stanley. It's fucking hilarious. And then a week later, that same guy does a Lars Ulrich impression. And then a week later, oh, my God, that guy does a Sam Kinison and on and on and on. And at the bowling alley, Eddie Van Halen is telling me all those stories. He's like, dude, remember when you... Uh, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and he tells Just me... Just a few weeks ago? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and he tells me a crazy fucking connection that he has to me, which is that I, I told a story on the air. Howard took claim as he should, to everything that was good that happened to me. 
And I said to Howard, um, I said, you know, everything you're saying is true, man. I've been broke my whole life. I've never had any money in, in my life until I started working on this show. And all I've ever wanted was an illegal cable box. That's all I've ever wanted. Was, <laughs> I wanted to have one of those illegal cable boxes that unscrambles all the channels and shit. That's all I've ever wanted. And at the bowling alley, Eddie Van Halen goes, dude, he goes, I heard you broke your whole life. Me too. He goes, I heard that, uh, that all you ever wanted was legal cable box. Is that true? And I said, yeah. And he goes, that's crazy. Cause, uh, and he looked both ways and he went, I got a legal cable box. Too. I, go, I go, really? And he goes, and Eddie goes, yeah. He goes, the thing is, I'm fucking rich, but don't want to be for cable. And I was like, are you serious? What the fuck? Like, and that that started that that relationship where over the course of the next like year and a half, I would come up to the studio on the studio side of that property and hang out with Maddie. And Eddie would walk in, hey, fucking comedian, what's going on? And we'd, we'd talk, and then I got in a really bad relationship that ended horribly. And uh, um, I was at a party with this girl, and uh, <laughs> I walked away for a couple minutes to go to the bathroom. When I came back, she was making out with a guy at the bar. And I was like, oh. And then I called Maddie and said, dude, you're not going to believe this. And Maddie goes, hold on, Eddie wants to talk to you. And Eddie got on the phone. He said, dude, I told you she was a whore. And you're fucking living with her. Why are you, why are you living with her? And I said, I know she's the only person I know. And he goes, dude, back up your shit. Move in with me. And I said, is that okay? And he goes, yeah. He goes, dude, you can stay in the recording studio. Stay as long as you want. The only thing is, don't tell anybody, but the band's getting back together. So it's going to be noisy at night. And I was like, so the only thing I have to worry about is the fact that Van Halen is going to be doing <laughs> next row. Yeah. And he goes, well, he goes, I know you're working on your TV show. And I was working on a new show called uh, Las Vegas at the time with uh, Alec Baldwin and James Caan. And, uh, and then I moved into Eddie Van Halen's house. And then for the next, like, uh, from January till about April or May, I think whenever that tour started is when I moved out. Um, and, uh, I lived at, at, at the 5150 studios oh, and, damn, uh, dude, that's so cool. <clears throat> and there's one moment where, uh, Metallica came to town to play the forum. And so I brought Maddie with me to introduce. And I remember telling Lars that, uh, I go, yeah, man, uh, I don't know if this is okay or not. I'm living at Eddie Van Halen's house. And he goes, dude, you're fucking what? <laughs> fucking Eddie Van Halen's house? How the fuck does that happen? I go, I don't know, man. It's crazy. But it's okay if I bring Eddie. Eddie backed out. But Maddie went. And Maddie and I go to the concert. And uh, I met a girl that night, a really nice girl. And we were texting each other through the show. And uh, uh, the show's over. I go back home. And at midnight... She called me up. And she said, hey, I just dropped off my friends. And I go, oh, what are you going to do now? And she goes, I don't know. You want to hang out? And I go, sure. And she goes, you want me to just come over? And I go, sure. <laughs> I go, oh, I don't, I don't know. Let me, uh, let me find out if that's okay. And I'll call you back. And she's like, oh, you have a girlfriend. I go, no, no, I'm single. I am totally single. I'm, I, I'm in a unique uh, situation. I'll call you back in a minute. 
So I find Ed and I go, hey, Ed, I don't know if Maddie told you, um, I met a girl at the show tonight and I don't know if it's cool. I'll keep her up there at, at the studio, but is it okay to, to invite a girl over? And he goes, dude, get some pussy. So I called her up and I said, hey, uh, okay, so I need you to meet me at the bottom of Coldwater Canyon. There's a, there's a Ralph supermarket right there on Ventura and you have to leave your car there and I'm going to bring you up to my place. And she's like, okay. And she's like, all right weirdo and then uh i i we meet in the parking lot she jumps in my car and and she's asking me like why do you need permission to and i go oh it's uh, uh you know i don't know how to say i live in any like right right i, I don't yeah. i go i live in a unique situation and i kind of i'm trying to put the words together and i go it's just really unique it's not my house and we drive up we go through the back gate there's two gates. There's like one that goes right in front of the mansion and there's one in the back uh, by the studio. We go through the back gate and I park and I open the door and I let her walk in first. She walks in and goes, wow. Is your friend like the biggest Van Halen fan on the planet or what? And then she starts seeing things. She's like, how do you get something like and there was a plaque right next to the bathroom door that had every van halen cover um and it said warner brother records commemorate 60 million records sold and she's like how do you get something like that and i was like um do you hear the the noise in the next room that that's that's van halen um this is uh this is eddie van halen's house and he's he's letting me stay here until i uh get on my feet again and she's like Okay, okay. <laughs> and to answer the next question that every guy asks, two minutes. It was like two <laughs> minutes later. Like, yeah, everything was awesome. But yeah, but yeah it was. It was. Uh, it was very a very surreal time, and um, and a lot of really funny moments like that that happened. And uh, and uh, my um, favorite part about all that is that he's in a bowling alley where he can't smoke, smoking, and he's looking around. Because he thinks that there's agents that he's going to be worried about. Worried about yeah. the legal <laughs> you know what I was worried about is I was worried about people freaking out that he was there and nobody fucking noticed him really? until his kid, Wolfie, who kept throwing the bowling ball like a shot put overhand. overhand. <laughs> he would throw the bowling ball overhand. At one point, he threw the ball and it bounced into the next lane, bounced, and landed perfectly on a middle divider. And Eddie goes, I'll get it. And he walks out. <laughs> and that's when I saw people all the way down the bowling alley going, holy <laughs> fuck, look who that, and that's, that's when people noticed him. Jesus. And, I don't, and I don't know if that's what made him leave, but like in the middle of like the sixth or seventh frame, he was like, I'm going to go play foosball. And I was like, <laughs> I go, we're in the sixth frame. And he goes, I don't care. I'll play foosball. And I go, you can't leave in the sixth frame. I go, you got four more frames. You got to just fucking finish out your thing. And he was like, go play foosball. And he walked away. And I was like, what the fuck? And then I remember when he left, and Dave, my buddy Dave and I would always laugh about this, that um, uh, this is the first night we're all meeting him. And he goes, uh, he goes, hey, nice to meet you. And he, he goes up, and the guy, Scott, who introduced me to Maddie, he walks up and kisses him on the lips, and he goes, good to see you. I love you. And he, and he goes, oh, thanks. And then he goes to my friend Dave, and he goes, Dave, great to meet you. I love you. 
and he goes, and I'm standing behind Dave, so I see this shot where Dave moves his head away, <laughs> but with the corner of his lips, he goes, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and for years, we would laugh where I would go, I go, dude, you puckered up, and he goes, Dude, it's Eddie Van yeah. Halen. <laughs> Goddamn right. right. I am fucking puckering up for Eddie Van Halen. That was so, so oh funny. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it was, it was very surreal. And, you know, it's not really a funny story. It's an interesting story, and, it, and it's a perfect one for a podcast because you can yes. kind of flesh it out. But uh, That's awesome. That's so cool. By the way, uh, um, probably should have mentioned this a couple times during the last three hours. I'm actually performing at the Funny Bone yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this weekend. You can get your tickets at uh, OmahaFunnyBone.com. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, OmahaFunnyBone.com. What was that? I'm sorry. Is, is the Funny Bone a comedy club or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Funny Bone is a comedy club, and I'm doing uh, five shows this weekend. Thursday, one show, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday. And um, always knew about Colleen, and uh, she's a name that everybody knows in comedy, and it was uh, she was always nice to me, and I could never quite, and maybe I didn't try hard enough, but I never got in here, and I wanted to get in here really bad, especially to do the... Uh, Todd and Tyler show. Uh, that's one that, as a radio guy, I've been wanting to get on forever. And then I finally just decided, all right, you know what? I'm just going to call the Todd and Tyler show and just just tell them, hey, I want to just come to Omaha and do your show, and I'll figure out a place to perform. And they called Colleen. Yeah. And then Colleen called me and said, did you want to perform in Omaha? And I was like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't even think I could. And she goes, yeah, do a Sunday. She goes, we'll open up on a Sunday. And I was like, all right. Yeah. And then it all kind of came together, and we all got along famously. And then... You know, this last minute show got put together for me to come and do a full weekend for the first time. So, oh yeah, I was excited about that. That's awesome. I can remember the. I remember hearing you on Todd and Tyler doing the Gene Simmons. Oh like, yeah, bit, like, <laughs> and they still talk. I mean, I've still heard them talk about it like years oh, later. Like, wow, talk bringing stuff up like that. So yeah, I, I, I that's when when we were looking you up and like trying to see where we knew your name from, that was the first thing that came to mind. Was wow. I remember that Gene Simmons bit. And so that led me down the rabbit hole of YouTube. So I got a question, uh, in all your years of working here for you guys have been here the longest, uh, how often do you, have you seen comedians hit on Colleen? Oof. Oh. <laughs> I don't think I could say that I've ever seen that, but I, I wouldn't put it past any of them. I've, it's, no. uh, I've seen a couple local guys when they're drunk. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Richard Reese is one. He said he told Colleen he'd knock the dust off her pussy. <laughs> and she's, she's just like, oh, Richard. <laughs> or she'll call him Rehard. <laughs> I would imagine she's heard it all. But I, it's like it's an interesting thing to see if comics are willing to cross that line. Oh, yeah. To like, you know, because you just... A, uh, it, uh, Famous I uh, Ron White story that I've been told. I will. Oh, it's yeah. hearsay again, but I was told this. Um, he uh, was, no recollection of the events in question. Yeah, <laughs> he, uh, he was here and he was late. Uh, the show was going to start and there's nowhere to be found. Uh, wasn't answering his phone, so Colleen showed up to the hotel room, got into the hotel room, and he was passed out on the floor still. And so she woke him up. And I uh, was like, get in the shower, Ron. You got to be on stage in like fucking 15 minutes. Get on stage. And he turns and looks at her and goes, do we got time to fuck? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, get in the fucking shower. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that is fucking amazing. I only talked to Ron once at the comedy store. We, uh, we sat next to each other at a roast battle. And, uh, 
And uh, whenever I go to the roast battle, um, Jeff will let me chime in, and I'll uh, I'll be watching, and I'll say, "Hey, uh, Bill Cosby wants to say something," and he'll go, "Oh, hey, folks, uh, we also have a commentary here from Bill Cosby," and I'll jump, you know, whatever. <laughs> or and I did Sam Kinison, and Ron looked at me, and he was like, "Holy shit!" and I, and uh, and he said, you know, I knew Sam. Like, oh, yeah. And, we, and he told me this amazing story about, um, I don't know what city it was, but Ron was working a club. I don't even, I think he was headlining a comedy club. Sam was doing a theater in town. And Sam's opener couldn't make it. So they contacted the club and said, hey, can we get one of your comics? And they go, yep, we're sending you Ron White. And Ron goes over to, and Ron's a fan. And Ron said that uh, Sam... Uh, Ron did his thing and then he walks off stage and there's some local, somebody else goes up and does a few minutes before they bring Sam out and Sam grabs Ron and goes, hey, come over here in the other room. And he pours out a bunch of Coke and he's like, he, you do this, right? And and Ron goes, yeah, let's, you know, and then so the, Ron starts snoring some Coke and Sam snorts up a big fat line and goes, <laughs> and, <laughs> and collapses on the ground. Oh, fuck. And Ron goes, shit. oh, shit. Hey, your guy, Sam's, you know, and then out on stage, you hear, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Kennison. And Sam gets up and goes, I'm just fucking with you, kid. <laughs> and then he walks out, and he walks out on stage and fucking murders for an hour and a half. Oh, oh asshole. How beautiful is that? That's so good. How fucking so beautiful fucking is that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's Dude, awesome. That's I, think, I think that's a perfect way to end the show. Yeah. I fucking do. I could go another two and a half hours, oh, dude. Yeah. I literally am. I, this is the shit that I love. So thank you guys. And um, uh, I appreciate it. I know that uh, Colleen threw me at you guys. Like, oh, I'll put you on the podcast. And I was like, I would love to do the podcast. No, that's great. Nobody no, asked, this has been amazing. Nobody asked the guys on the podcast. No, we were joking around about that. Like, oh, shit, now Colleen's going to start booking for us, too. Colleen's already booked awesome. now. Fuck, yeah. <laughs> Hell, yeah. No, we don't have to ask anybody. Shit. That's uh, awesome. Uh, yeah, it's been awesome to have you on here. Uh, yeah, I guess there is one question we ask everyone that we haven't got a chance to ask you. But, I mean, it's probably... Eddie Van Halen's toilet is where's the strangest place you've taken a dump in your life? Um, wow. Uh, yeah, Eddie's. Hmm. Should we give him That's, what our answers were first? Just to we can. Yeah, go ahead. Let's hear. Um, well, well, mine is um, so. There's a town called Bellevue, not too far from here. <laughs> okay. I like how this is starting. There's an yeah. old park and a walking trail, and I was like ten or eleven or whatever. And long story short, I I took the nastiest nastiest foulest shit off of a walking trail in a park wow <laughs> mine was my pants golfing i just threw my underwear away i used to do mobile detailing detailing cars just driving around omaha and i had to shit in a bucket once no and a couple shit. of times was, uh, so like one of, my, one of my past jobs was i cleaned up like hoarder houses and crime scenes and stuff and Whoa. I, I shit in like a pot <laughs> really oh yeah you had to clean up crime scenes. Oh yeah, I've cleaned up. I've cleaned up suicides, murders, wow, murder death kills. Yeah, like just crazy shit. Crazy. It's a demolition more reference, more hoarder houses than anything, but yeah. more what houses? Like hoarder houses, like the shit you would see yeah, on TV. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we worked with that company, the guys who run the show through Discovery. Um, Dude, we can't. We can't stop right now. Let's just, can we just discuss this oh, for yeah, a minute? Yeah. Uh, who are you working for when you're cleaning up? So there's a, there's a local company here uh, called Absolute Bowel Recovery. And I worked for this, this lady. Absolute Bowel? 
bio. bio. Yeah, I thought he said bowel too. I thought he did too. Like, I was like bowel or come? Jesus. But it, it all started because I was Who's working. Who's applying at that fucking place? I worked maintenance at a hotel and a dude had died in one of the rooms. It was one of the rooms where you could rent by the week. Okay. So the guy died in the room. He had been in there for, he had paid for a month in advance. He was here traveling for work. Okay. Well, there goes my joke about not so like, paying for that week. Yeah. <laughs> so for like two and a half weeks, nobody knew he was dead. And then for like the last week and a half, it started to smell. Oh, no. But it was one of those things that like, the guy also was really bad about taking his trash out. And okay. He, he ate a, a diet that was heavy in chicken and fish. And so like we'd had to yell at him before. So that's what we just thought it was. And we tried not to go into rooms if we didn't have to. You know, we'd knock on the door. He didn't answer. We just, whatever. We'll come back the next day and, and see if it's changed. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it never changed. And then finally, we had to break the door in because it had one of those bars across it, the, the swinging bar. bars. And so you could only open it kind of a quarter. But as soon as I opened it, I was like, oh, yeah, he's dead in there. Wow. And so they showed up to clean up, and then that started my conversation with them, and then I ended you up- You guys hiring? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? This seems like fun. I worked in ambulance services in my, like, right out of high school. So I was an EMT, and I did all that stuff. So You're it wasn't out of the- at a young age. Yeah, it wasn't out of the realm yeah. for me, and I thought it was, I mean- it was interesting because it's shit that nobody ever sees. Like, of yeah. course, if you see something like uh, you know a murder or something on TV or you know in like a reality show, uh, what happens afterwards? You never see or hear what happens afterwards. Yeah. So I got to be that. I got to figure out what that missing puzzle piece was. Jesus, that that is something that. Uh, uh, I mean, when you become jaded to that, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, that right? is such a crazy. I mean, it's kind of like uh, in New York, people are. <laughs> Like, I, I, I don't know why. I was having, uh, where the fuck was I? I was in Hawaii uh, a month ago, and, and the crowd was clearly easily offended. And I don't know why, but when, when I feel a sensitivity, I have this, like, uh, impulse to, uh, and it's out of nervousness, I get more disgusting and more, f like, uh, <laughs> obscene yeah, for I some like reason. Yeah. And for some reason, I said, hey, I'm going to tell you guys a funny story. And, and they were like, okay. And I go, but it's really fucked up. And they were like, no, do it. And I go, all right. And then it landed where I was like, that's exactly what I expected. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I remember. I warned you guys. And before I tell you what that story is, I, I can't. This was going to happen. I can remember uh, walking by um, on 43rd Street and 8th Avenue. Both of these stories happened on this almost in the same couple of blocks. I think it's 43rd or 44th and 8th Avenue in Manhattan. There's a Ben and Cherry's there. And a guy jumped off a building and. Uh, was just covered up with a white sheet, and the white sheet is stained with blood. I mean, Holy it just shit, happened, and they're Jesus. still waiting for somebody to come pick him up. Yeah. And at the Ben and Jerry, there's all these giant picture windows, and there's New Yorkers just sitting there with their ice cream cones and just like looking at the dead body. Yeah, it doesn't affect them at all. Like, wow. oh, and nobody said, "Oh my God, get away!" There's a dead body right there. Like people are just eating their ice cream and looking at the dead body. Yeah. But one of the craziest and most New York moments I've ever seen. And by New York moment, I mean horrifyingly fucked up. <laughs> is I saw a bunch of, I was walking down 8th Avenue and a bunch of cops pulled up in two NYPD vans and they emptied out. It was like five, 10 cops per van. And they all raced in front of us, get out of the way. And they ran into the subway. And I looked at my friend and I was like, you got your Metro card? <laughs> I was like, let's go. Because cops is my favorite show. Yeah. And so we swiped and we ran down. And what happened? Some guy uh, apparently tragically uh, jumped in front of the train and oh. took his own life. Oh. And it had just happened because the train 
is completely packed full of people. The train just stopped and people are kind of like, what the fuck's going on? And, uh, and I remember <laughs> there was, uh, one old lady and she had one foot off the train on the platform. And she, she seems to be doing her own like one woman investigation <laughs> into what's going on. <laughs> and cops are walking by and she's like, did he jump? <laughs> or, did, or did somebody push him? Did somebody push him or he jump? And some guy pushed his way off the train and said, no, nah, he jumped. And now we all gonna be late. This is bullshit. Like, oh what the fuck? Like, See, I, I had a, a kind of similar experience when I worked on the ambulance. We had a guy. So it wasn't a passenger train. It was like a they had coal cars. Around. By the way, anybody listening to this podcast all the way through to here is killing themselves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping off a fucking building right now. What was, what was fucked up about what this situation? We're not gonna end. What the fuck is wrong with these people? Is this guy? So it was a. It was a. <laughs> a regular, just a driving bridge, like a two-lane bridge to get over the train tracks. Okay. And it was a, right by a, a shipping yard. And so the guy timed it so where he jumped off the bridge and landed right in front of the train. Ooh. The train going full speed, oh. 40, 50 miles an hour, whatever it is, just oh. premeditated I mean, suicide. Oh, yeah. Fuck. But when it hit, That's I mean, it ripped him into guy. pieces. Yeah. So wow. in whenever that happens, you know, the coroner is going to come and take the pieces, but somebody has to pick all the pieces up and it's not going to be the coroner because they make right. the good money. Oh no! So they would call the fire department or the ambulance. They, you know, make they would the come good out. Money? Yeah. Oh, no. So we had to go out and pick up all the pieces. And my partner found his foot. And I mean, like it, it was a full foot and the tendons were exposed. So he walks oh. up and he's pulling on the tendons, making oh. the toes curl. Jesus oh, Christ. And that's where I think I was truly desensitized to all Thursday of that Thursday through shit. Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> Five shows. <laughs> that reminds me of a scary movie. Don't fuck with the door staff. Right around the bend and they hit the dude and they get out of the car and they're like, oh my God, we hit a boot. Where's the foot? I did a lot more with, I, I like doing hoarder houses. That, like I have a, a real story and picture of me finding a book signed by Abe Lincoln and it was like authenticated. The oh family God. were like coattail relatives. They were, they were related to Mary Todd. And the book and, ends up in a fucking hoarder house. And, and they had no idea where it was at. And it was literally the last day that we were there. We found it and... Yeah, Do you know what yeah, happened I mean, with it after that? They, they, the, the like, family it's that, a historical document, yeah, the right? family like that it, wasn't having issues took it with them instead of the guy who was having the problems. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's listed. It, it was uh, so back in the day, obviously, when they would do like senatorial debates. This is from when he was a senator. He wasn't even president yet. When they do the debates, it would get published and then mailed out all across the country. That's the only way you would know what these people debated against each other. There mm. was no you know regular mm. press. So that's what it was. It was a book that he had autographed that was a, a debate from him and somebody else wow. when he was that's a senator. Cool. Oh my god. And I've got so crazy. I've got a picture. I didn't know what it was. Like I picked the book up and I opened it up and my my dude that I worked with was like, Hold on, I'm taking a picture right now. Look at what that signature says. Wow. And it was like right you open the front cover and it's right there. It said A Lincoln and it was in like his, you know, handwriting. That's cool. It was crazy. That's what did amazing. you do with the book? The family kept it, but the, the, the family that wasn't crazy kept it. The ones wow. that, that had us come in to clean up. <laughs> wow. Holy shit. All yeah. right. Did we get through every question? Are we? Oh, yeah. I'd... Oh, yeah. I think so. If there's any oh, questions yeah. that haven't been asked, I could do a speed round of whatever you're, if there's anything that hasn't been asked. Uh, Otherwise, what, what album were you with uh, Alice in Chains on? How many shows did you do with them? Uh, you know, what's funny is uh, my whole thing of doing, uh, um, uh, hey, we're concerts. recording a live album. 
struck a chord, uh, and I didn't even think about this, but uh, Val, who was the security guy on that tour, that's a whole other story. Um, when I was a kid, I used to go to concerts. I went to every concert starting at 13. I probably went to 100 concerts a year at one point. That's awesome. I love music, so I would go to Slayer. I would go to the Thompson Twins. I would go to Huey Lewis. I would go to... Depeche Fucking Mode. Huey Lewis. I, That's I went, a drop. Dude, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just I love I love going to concerts and I would always try to sneak in after the show to try to meet anybody who worked on the tour to just try to find out what the music industry was all about. And there was a guy who was the head of security there named Big Val who would always like, you know, what the fuck you do? Get out of here. You don't have a pass. And he would throw me out. And after a while he would actually say, Just don't get me in trouble, okay? And he would let me he would let me float afterwards. And when I did that tour, my first day of the tour. Uh, my the door to my uh, dressing room opened up and Big Val walked in and he goes, what kind of trouble you getting into? And I was like, <laughs> no way. He was the head of security for the tour. Oh, That's shit. how we got That's to awesome. work together. So um, in Austin, Texas, uh, Val said, uh, hey, Jerry wants to talk to you. And I walked over and I go, hey, man, what's going on? And he goes, hey, dude, I, uh, I respect you uh, creatively. Like, you know, and I'm, I, I would never tell anybody like what to do on stage. But... You know, when you're going on stage every night saying, hey, we're, we're writing a, we're recording a live album tonight. I'm starting to see it on all the message boards. Like, I wonder when the live album comes out. We've had an issue in our career with saying that we were going to do something and we couldn't because of our old singer. And I was like, oh, my uh, God. Right. Oh, my God. Holy shit. I didn't even think about that. And he goes, and dude, he goes, I fucking dig it. He goes, I love it. I just want to ask you to just not say we're recording a live album. Like, everything else, like, hey, I work yeah. for the band, whatever. I just, and I was like, I didn't even think about that. That's no problem. But it was 2007 or eight, and it was an acoustic tour. I saw that tour. They played at Sokol Underground, or Sokol Auditorium here off okay. 13th and Martha. Okay. That was, that was my first time being able to see them because, I mean, obviously they hadn't toured in a fucking while. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was their, it was their f I think it was their first, like, big tour. With William Duvall. With William. And it was their uh, Black Fades to, or Black yeah, Fades to Blue well, album, or I think Blue Fades to Black. Blue, blue Fades to Black. Why I think can blue, I not think of this? God I think Blue Fades to Black uh, was recorded shortly after that. Because I remember, like, remember that the recording process happened after we all kind of became family. Because uh, then... Uh, I already knew Sean, and uh, but Mike and I became the drummer, friends. right? Sean, Sean the drummer, and then uh, Michael, like we, and then Susan, their manager. We all kind of like became close after that. But it was an acoustic tour, and it led into the Velvet Revolver Arena tour that summer. Because I know that I did a handful of dates leading up to the first arena show, which I was not a part of, and I asked if I could stay for the first show in Alabama. Uh, in Birmingham, and they said, "Yeah, you can stay." Shout for out, him. Davis. Yeah, <laughs> Birmingham <laughs> from Alabama. So, uh, but yeah, that that. Um, uh, so I want to say it was 2007 or 2008. It was, uh, um, and I did a handful of dates with them, but I actually rode on the bus, and it was that was crazy. Fuck, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I was really really stoked about that. Is but, Jerry uh, Cantrell like at least as cool as he seems? Jerry Cantrell is a very. Uh, withdrawn he's a very quiet guy i always said that i can do a perfect jerry cantrell texting impression uh because even his texts are super uh brief so uh jerry and i um i met jerry backstage at that metallica concert at the forum 
I had already seen him for years on the streets in Seattle. And I always was like standoffish of him. I, I was like afraid of him. And uh, so I see him backstage at the Metallica concert and Maddie, Eddie Van Halen's assistant, is talking to Jerry and he goes, hey, this is Craig Gass. He's a stand-up comedian. He works on the Howard Stern Show. And Jerry goes, hey, man, nice to meet you. And I love stand-up comedy. I go, oh, well, you should come to a show sometime. And he goes, oh, I'll give you my phone number. And I'm like, okay. And, and I didn't call him for a year. And a year later, I said, hey, I'm doing a show with Dane Cook <laughs> and David Tell tonight at the Laugh Factory. And he was like, oh, come out. And he brought like 10 people and came out to the show. And by the way, that night, uh, it's David Tell. This is the longest podcast you will ever do for the rest of the <laughs> it's, it's David Tell. It's worth every second. Yeah. David Tell, great. Dane Cook, and, uh, and me and a couple other people. Jeff Ross showed up. Like, oh, we got to put Jeff on stage. Cat Williams showed up. Oh, we got to put Cat Williams on stage. Oh, yeah. no um, shit. Um, Bill Ingvall shows up. Oh, we got to put Bill Ingvall show. Norm MacDonald shows up. Oh, shit. Like, oh, we got to put Norm on. And I, I see Norm in the room, and I, I'm like, oh, my God. Norm, are you going on? And this is like six months after the Michael Richards thing happened, where Michael Richards yelled at the N word. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh, Norm goes, uh, "Yeah, you know, I want to. You know, I want to go. Yeah, but they want to put the fucking black guy up, and I don't want to say anything, you know, because it's the fucking Laugh Factory." <laughs> <laughs> so Jerry comes to that show, Norm's the and afterwards, Jerry and I end up talking for like two hours, standing on Sunset Boulevard, and I'm like blown away at how nice he is. He even says, if you ever need a place to stay in LA, you can stay at my place. And I'm like, holy shit. And then um, I got to take off. He takes off. The next day I get a, I flew to New York and I get a message. Hi, this is so-and-so. I represent Allison Chains. We want to offer you a tour this summer to open for Allison Chains. And I was like, and I sent Jerry a text, and my text was, dude, there's a guy, he said his name's Dave, and he works for the band, he said he's with your management, and that he wants to offer me a tour, and is this true? Is this really, like, your, represent your representative, and he's going to offer me a tour to do a whole thing for this whole summer? And he texted back, yep. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing! That's fucking amazing! Like, yeah. And I was like, all caps, and that's like, he's just a man of few words. And then... Straight to the point. Yeah, and but there's been moments when he's been like, you know... It's weird because everyone in that band, like, I've noticed that, uh, like, the respect that comedians and musicians have is that every band I've ever known is loaded with fucking goofballs. And that band, Alice in Chains, are the goofiest, the goofiest fucking people I've ever met in my life. Jerry, on his outgoing messages, he's always doing a full production. He's got sound effects and he's like, there was one for a long time. Hey, you've reached Willie's backyard junkyard. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like all these noises. Like, if you want to pick up a scooter or metal parts or blah, 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 leave a message. And, and it's, he's like put a lot of time and thought in doing these messages. Sean is a fucking goofball. Mike Inez sends me the most horrifying, god-awful things I've ever seen in my life. Like, I never Seems learned like my lesson. In <laughs> fact, and I'll, we'll end with this, because I, I feel like we got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I'll end with this. Mike Inez um, sent... If you're going to send somebody something fucked up and you want the timing to be right, this is what you want to happen. I was boarding a flight, and because I fly so much, I got a free upgrade to go into first class, which is I can't afford to be in first class. And everyone <laughs> in first class always knows it. And so I get into first class and people are staring at me like, does this guy know that 
know where he's, he's at. <laughs> he's <not laughs> supposed to be here. And, and, and it's really, and there's only, there's only 10 of us on the plane right now because they're only letting first class on and I'm, I'm putting my bags over it and then my phone dings and then I look and it's Inez and I'm like, oh wow, Mike Inez sent me. It's cool. And I'm putting my bags up and then I, excuse me, I'm in the window seat and I, I sit down and the guy sits next to me <clears throat> and I look and it's a video and I push play and it's two guys viciously fucking each other in the ass. And I'm like, <laughs> and I just, it was so shocking that I just, I just kind of paused like, what the fuck? And the voiceover kicked in. And the voiceover was, hey, this guy's watching gay porn. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And everybody looked at me. Everybody looked at me. I was like, sorry, sorry, sorry. And I bring that up all the time. And that is the kind of shit that I get from, from Mike. And then meanwhile, they make, they have created some of the moodiest uh, music you've ever heard. Some of the so most heartfelt. thoughtful, it's introspective, insane. introspective I'm, music. I'm, I'm like, Full disclosure, I am a hardcore Alice in Chains fan. I don't think I've ever listened to anything more soulful yeah. or like transparently like from heart to the universe. Like they're like top of the top for me. They're, so this is an amazing time just to hear your experiences with them. Like, oh. <laughs> well, I'm going to change that by showing you the last thing that Mike sent me, and that's going to change your fandom for the rest of your life. Because I, I bet my boner's only going to get bigger. It's funny that you mention a penis because I will only describe the video I'm going to show you as uh, I didn't know a penis could do that. That's the only thing I can tell you. And I'm he's intrigued yet terrified. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I'm going to show this to I'm you. Very and curious. You know what? Actually, uh, do you mind if we get a reaction from you uh, just uh, to hear his reaction? Oh, I don't, yeah. Okay, here we go. So here is, uh, and yes, that's exactly what you think it is. Okay. Is it smoking? It's, it's smoking. Yep. <laughs> now, now watch. Now watch. Watch, watch. He takes the cigarette it's out. It's taking a drag. Yep. And then here we go. Every time he sends me something, I go, what the fuck? Yeah, dude. Yeah. That penis just exhaled. Yeah. 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 It did. It exhaled. It was fucking, yeah, that was the crazy. All right. Yeah. Well, I think with that, we're going to call it a wrap. Right. Uh, blown, ladies and gents. We five got, shows this weekend. Yeah, we got Craig Gas this weekend. Come check him out. Uh, I'm guessing you're all over social media at the same. Yeah, I'm easy up. to find. Uh, on Twitter and uh, Instagram at Craig Gas Comedy with two S's and uh, and when you post this, I imagine the hashtags will be uh, Dick Smoker hashtag, <laughs> hashtag Allison Chains hashtag Brody Stevens hashtag Mitch Hedberg oh yeah hashtag be lots of hashtags Steelers stole the Super Bowl <laughs> <laughs> Funny Bone hashtag Omaha yeah that yeah. was a funny. Oh. All right. Well, to play us out, I'm going to play a Van Halen song. I uh, love you guys. Thanks for coming and joining us today. And uh, thank you. We this will see you this weekend. All right. Enjoy. <laughs>